Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9am on Cork's Red FM. And right on cue, the Mirror has Sunday roast. Met says Scorcher will be the hottest day yet. Sunday is set to be the hottest day of the year so far as temperatures soar to 25 degrees. Saturday will see highs of 23 degrees, while Sunday could see the mercury climb even higher in places. Experts said our recent humid weather is down to a tropical maritime air mass and warned the hot conditions will see the UV index reach between 6 and 8 today. This means any sun seekers must use protection and avoid direct exposure to the sun during the midday hours. And a Met Air and Forecaster said today will start off mostly cloudy and damp with some patchy drizzle and mist, as we've told you. Sunday looks like it's going to be the day of the year. Live music, the pilot outdoor gig happened last night. Live music is back in the summer sun. 500 golden tickets as fans flock to the park. James Vincent McMorrow will hardly get his chance to be the Rolling Stones again, to be the biggest noise in the music room. But for two minutes here in Ireland, uh, he was our rock and roll, the body and soul of live music. The Dubliner played his first live post-COVID gig and hit the spot at the Ivy Gardens in Dublin last night. So we're getting back slowly but surely uh, to outdoor gigs. Why can't it be the same for Little venues who have uh, outdoor spaces, I wonder. More streets are set for bright new parasols. You'll have heard Lana reporting in the news that more streets in the city are to get the parasol treatment like Princess Street and large parasol umbrellas and awnings are set to be installed in the coming months on Union Quay, Pembroke Street, Caroline Street and Beasley Street. And Pembroke Street and Beasley Street both connect Oliver Plunkett Street and the South Mall. So it's going to be a nice little bohemian quarter there. Union Quay runs along the riverfront, of course, from Anglesey Street to South Terrace and Caroline Street connects Oliver Plunkett Street with Mailer Street. That's going to be nice. Cork's COVID-19 cases are below the national average. The Echo reporting that new provisional figures published by the Health Protection Surveillance Centre, the HPSC, show that many cases of COVID-19 have been reported in the... shows how many cases have been reported in Cork in the 14 days from May 26th to June 8th. And we are lower than the national average. Uh, a total of 491 cases were reported in Cork in that period. The incidence rate of COVID-19 cases in Cork per 100,000 population for the period was 90.4, which is well below the national incidence rate of 113.5. So people are doing things right, or righter, uh, in Cork. Cork centres mark a 100,000 vaccinations milestone as the uh, fully vaccinated, double vaccinated number now just crosses the million, one million in Ireland, Parky Kiev and Cork City Hall are celebrating the milestone of the administration of a total of 100,000 vaccinations. The South and Southwest Hospital Group and Cork Kerry Community Healthcare announced Parky Kiev and Cork City Hall have administered in excess of 100,000 vaccinations. And one million, as I say, are now fully vaccinated. The HSC chief said the figure is quite remarkable. We have Ireland hitting a significant virus milestone with one million people fully vaccinated against COVID-19. This good news comes as St. James's Hospital in Dublin reported having no patients with coronavirus for the first time since March last year. And Taoiseach Michal Martin said over 3.1 million doses have been administered so far. And over a million, actually 1.1 million, have been administered through the vaccination centres and I think about 1.4 million doses, he said, by GPs. GPs have played an extraordinary role and now we're bringing some of the pharmacies to bear as well. Booze and cigarette prices up by 1.8%. The price of booze and tobacco has gone up by 1.8% year on year. New figures can reveal. The Sun has the live gig joy, the summer of footy and the 1 million people vaccinated as well. But Cork and Limerick Hospital are struggling, says the examiner. 
There has been a challenging environment for healthcare staff after the cyber attack. Hospitals in Cork and Limerick continue to be seriously affected by the cyber attack on the HSE online systems, with staff working through the night to transfer data from paper charts. It's now 29 days since the cyber attack disabled vital services, including access to scans and laboratory work. No overnight beds planned at proposed new elective hospital for Cork. No overnight beds are set to come on stream as part of the proposed new elective hospital here in Cork. It's been earmarked to operate six days a week, 50 weeks of the year. And Cork North Central TD and Fine Gael spokesperson on health, Colum Burke, questioned Sloyne Care officials on the proposals for the new facility when they came before the Oireachtas Health Committee this week. Uh, you can read uh, all about that in The Echo uh, by Sarah O'Dwyer. A man has settled his action over a death, uh, the death of his wife at the COMH. Anna O'Loughlin reporting in the examiner that a man who sued over the death of his wife, age 38, at Cork University Maternity Hospital days after her first baby was delivered has settled his high court action for £1.25 million. Experts are trying to solve the sponge mystery. A team of researchers have plumbed to the depths of Loch Ine to solve the mystery of disappearing marine sponges in the unique West Cork Loch. This is a place apart on planet Earth. Loch Ine with its uh, rapids, uh, the uh, Barlow Creek, which you can anchor outside, and the beautiful Loch Ine, which is uh, still accessible by road, and a lovely pier with which to have a barbecue or something. But the team has been led by Professor of Marine Biology James Bell uh, from Victoria University of Wellington in New Zealand and has been studying the loss of possibly thousands of sponges from the underwater cliffs inside Loch Hine. The team secured funding from the National Parks and Wildlife Service of the Department of Housing, Local Government and Heritage to study the unusual phenomenon. And McCurtain and McSweeney are to be honoured at a ceremony. Former Lord Mayors of Cork, Tomás McCurtain, and Terence McSweeney are to receive a posthumous civic honour at a special ceremony today. The two Lords Mayor will have their names added to the role of honorary citizens of Cork. And due to COVID-19 restrictions, a traditional special ceremony at City Hall could not take place. So the ceremony will be broadcast at 3pm on Cork City Council's YouTube channel. Lifeguards are going to get a full-time gig at Cork and Kerry Beaches as well. And uh, award-winning beaches all over County Cork and County Kerry will see a beefed-up lifeguard presence for the second year in a row as the domestic tourism season begins in earnest. And of course, they would be needed because of the amount of staycationers. But Cork County Council's lifeguards will be on duty full-time starting on Saturday, June 12th, all over the county which has the most ever designated uh, blue flag beaches and marinas. Of course, we have the longest coastline of any county in Ireland, so obviously have more beaches there as well. Cost of essential services surge in the last year, says the examiner. The gap between rich and poor could widen even further. Biden stands by Ireland, says the mail. The Taoiseach has hailed the US president's significant message to the UK. Joe Biden had his first meeting with Boris Johnson yesterday amid claims of a behind-the-scenes diplomatic row over Britain's failure to stand by the Northern Ireland Protocol agreed with the EU. The US President came face-to-face with the British Prime Minister in Cornwall after it was reported that Mr Biden, who is intensely proud of his Irish roots, ordered an official to deliver a formal request to Mr Johnson to resolve trade issues with the EU and not to put the Good Friday agreement at risk. Good on you, Joe. Uh, Faradkar's team used fake pollsters to help him get elected uh, in 2011. Uh, Bertie contradicts Martin. The controversy is growing and it involves all of the coalition parties. Gardaí have been asked to examine uh, the revelations. Tony to Leo Varadkar's campaign used students uh, posing as representatives of a fictional polling company with fake business cards 
as part of his Doyle re-election bid. The Irish Independent can reveal he's the latest politician to become embroiled in the controversy that has engulfed Sinn Féin, Fine Gael, Fianna Fáil and the Greens. So it's the coalition parties and Sinn Féin. He is the latest politician uh, to be embroiled in this. And it comes as former Taoiseach Bertie Ahern contradicted Hall Martin, who said that before 2007, Fianna Fáil members undertook polling while pretending to be market researchers. To be honest, I don't think that's correct, Mr Ahern has said. It's uh, our look at the newspapers on this Friday morning. It's 18 minutes past nine. The Neil Prenderville Show. And a very good morning from the Neil Prendeville Show. In for my last day, this is Mick Mulcahy. Now, over the last year, we've been checking in on the programme with Corkonians all over the world to see how they've been doing and dealing with uh, the pandemic. How have they been getting on? What have they been up to? And Sarah McCarthy is originally from Carrigaline and has contacted the show to fill us in on how life is going for her on the Algarve in Portugal. So good morning to you, Sarah. Morning, Nick. How are you? I'm great. Now, you live uh, near the old town in Albufeira on the Algarve of Portugal. Right. Albufeira became famous. Didn't, when, didn't the English fans run riot there about 20 years ago? Yeah, yeah. Well, we've had, a, we've had incidences similar to that over the last few years, but, you know, it's still a popular place for everybody to come, so it doesn't put people off. Okay. Now, you're from Carrigaline. Four years ago, you decided you, decided you kind of needed a change of pace. Tell us about that. Yeah, uh, well, just four years ago, um, just, you know, um, I was a little bit on a, on a whim, but just decided to move out to uh, Portugal. I've been coming here for about, like, eight, nine years beforehand, and just fell in love with the place and the people and everything. So, yeah, it was just where I wanted to be and, and uh, where I could see my future. Okay, so you, you made the move, uh, and you began to yep. work as a nanny for tourists staying in local hotels. What does that involve? You just offer a... Um, a full-time babysitting service or you stay with them for the week or is it just night by night? Uh, it's not mostly night by night. Um, I've had like long-term uh, jobs where I've worked for months with a family that live out here. Uh, you know, it depends. Like the last year or so, it's been very, very different because as you can imagine, we haven't had tourists out here and, and all that. So, you know, it's been a struggle to survive. Um, but like, thankfully, things are starting to look a little bit up. Um, but it, it doesn't come without its trials and tribulations, you know. I mean, it is a very tourist area and you are heavily relying on the tourists for work and, and you know, for trade, etc. So, yeah, okay. it's, it's, it's not easy, but it's worth it in the end. And, and a little bit ahead of us here in Ireland, the UK gave the green light for travel to Portugal uh, quite quickly, actually. So yeah. you would have seen an influx of UK tourists, would you? Yeah, they gave us the green light. And to be honest... Um, it was it was given, it was taken away. So you can imagine the frustration and the disappointment out here when that happened. And the confusion. Um, and, and the confusion, massive confusion. I mean, a lot of English people were, were seriously um, annoyed about the whole situation. They just literally arrived a couple of days and they were being told to go home. And, you know, a lot of people think it was influenced over the, the um, UEFA Cup final, um, the, the, the Chelsea match. Because they gave the green light and all the, 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 you know, football fans came here. There was a few problems up in Porto regarding that. And then a few days later, they, they took the green light away. Um, so a lot, of, a lot of businesses out here that just had given their staff contracts for the tourist season uh, felt really, really let down by the fact that suddenly the, the tourists kind of, you know, they left. I mean, 20,000 Brits left the Algarve. Uh, in in the few days when it was announced. Wow, okay. And this influx of UK tourists, um, has yeah. that gone well? 
Uh, is, is there worries that some of them may not have been vaccinated? Have they been adhering to local procedures? I think uh, a lot of people um, are under the misconception that once they test negative with the PCR test, that they can literally uh, do what they want and not wear masks and things like that. Um, like myself and my partner have had incidences, particularly the other night, we were out down the old town having a meal and we went to the taxi rank to get a taxi. And there was a group of about 10, 12 uh, people standing with kids. Nobody was wearing a mask. They were blocking access to the taxis. And when we approached them and said, please, can you put on your mask? You know, you, there's no social distancing going on. We literally have to walk through you to get to a taxi. They got like uh, very aggressive. Um, one person actually tried to like step forward and challenge my partner. And, uh, yeah, there's no need for that. You know, I mean, we're, we're out here. We have a vaccination program in place. A lot of, like at the moment, it's at the over 50s. Um, so a lot of the younger people that are working out here are not vaccinated just yet. So, you know, people need to research the rules, obey the rules, and, you know, not get aggressive with the locals when we're telling you to put your mask on because of the reason we're asking. Okay, so in Portugal, there are local restrictions as regard and and you know a lot of people are, are are adhering to these on a voluntary basis people are returning to work in the offices piecemeal bit by bit currently everything is open until 10:30 p.m. but are you saying there's a lack well, of respect for uh, you know once you leave your country and i know we're talking kind of about the uk visitors at the moment but are you saying they're showing a yeah. lack of respect for what guidelines and restrictions exist on the ground in portugal now, to be fair, I'm not saying everybody is being disrespectful. It's just a minority. But that minority makes things harder for people who are trying to do their jobs or even just for the locals themselves. And, and it's that sense of uh, safety that we need, you know? Um, and, and it's just, like, you know, my, my advice to anybody, whether they're coming from England or, you know, in the next few weeks, hopefully from Ireland, uh, just research the rules. Um, there's, there's a few of them in place, especially when it comes to mask wearing, uh, you know, etiquette on the beach. We have a traffic light system on the beach where you can download an app. It'll let you know if the beach is too full and you shouldn't go to it or it will let you know what beach is, has more, like, space that you can go and, and uh, spend the day there. This can only so, work, I imagine, uh, Sarah, if everybody who is going on the beach has the app, yeah? Well, it's very simple. It's actually advertised in the, in the airport when you arrive. Um, there's signs up explaining the situation. So, you know, it's green light if there's plenty of space on the beach. It's an amber light if it's getting full. And it's a red light to say, you know, it's not safe. to we've ha- We have enough numbers on the beach. So it's, it's, it's well advertised, um, you know, on the tourist sites here and uh, in the airport when you arrive. Okay. So it's, it's just... People just need to educate themselves in regards to the um, the rules and restrictions. Now, just to let you know, there was an update last night. Uh, bars and restaurants and cultural um, cultural facilities are now open till one a.m. in the morning. I thought that was from fifteenth uh, of June. Next week is it? They brought it. They brought it forward three oh, days. Brilliant. Yeah, they announced it last night because yesterday was Portugal Day here. So they made the announcement last night. And uh, yeah, so that was fantastic news to hear. Yeah, so the Portuguese authorities, under their own programme, are happy enough to extend the opening times and ease restrictions slightly. But of course, the fly in the ointment is if the tourists that they love to welcome uh, don't respect these guidelines. Yeah, I mean, it works It works everywhere. I mean, you know, you have to show the same level of respect in your own country as you do in, in somebody else's. And you've got to remember, like, we 
absolutely 100% want tourists back. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's our bread and butter out here. You know, we need the tourists back. Um, and I would encourage anybody, if you can, to come out um, because, you know, it is a safe place. I mean, I feel safe here. And our numbers are quite low. I mean, you've got to think the, the Algarve has a population of like 450,000. We've only 330 active cases, you know, so it's still one of the safest places to come. Now, I know there's issues up the north regarding, um, you know, Lisbon and Valdetasia and, and places like that where the numbers are, are spiking a little bit. But the Algarve throughout the whole of the, the coronavirus has actually kept their numbers really, really low, thankfully. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw some pretty strong handed policing in the Canary Islands. Is that evident in Portugal, too? Um, to be honest, the night of the, the the football final, there was a heavy presence up on the, the strip, you know, the, the new town of Albufeira. Mm-hmm. Um, but they actually, there was no problems up there because the GNR, they're used to the big, big crowds in that area and uh, and they handled it well. So we've had no real major incidences here. The, the GNR, you know, you, they might walk up and say, oh, put your mask on. But normally, you know, we've been out a couple of nights now this week and there, there's not a heavy presence around the town or anything like that. You know, they just want people to enjoy their holiday at the end of the day, you know. Yeah, but still they have their own population to protect. And that's what I meant to about, about the Canarian police. That That's what they were doing. They were enforcing guidelines, enforcing mask wearing uh, and that kind of thing to protect their own citizens. Mm-hmm. Well, there's heavy fines if you don't comply. And mm. everybody's aware of that, you know. And you just you just do it. I mean, to be fair, uh, I have to say that, you know, the Algarvian people have, have complied with everything. There's been no major complaints from anybody out here. They just get on and, and do what they're supposed to do. Uh, and it's fantastic. And, you know, this the, we're in June now. Normally, it would be absolutely packed here, um, but not so much at the moment. There's enough people to keep the restaurants and bars open, etc. But... You know, uh, yeah, people out here are just happy to that things are progressing forward and, and not backwards. Thank okay, God. and for Irish people who, are, who, who may be listening who are considering the Algarve in Portugal as a, as a destination, what's pricing like there? Is it very reasonable still? Yeah, it, it's cheap enough to come out here. I mean, I, I know some of the accommodation costs have gone up a little bit. I, I know a lot of hotels have to make back the money from being closed for the last year. But in general, like food and drink prices have stayed the same. Okay. I mean, there's, there's no big. I mean, if you if you come out here, you know, you're you're going to pay about two fifty three euro for for a pint of beer. Uh, the same for probably a glass of wine. So you know, it's it's quite nice. And and the average meal cost is probably around ten euro for main course, ten fifteen euro. So hmm. finally, Sarah, really do you miss carrying a line? Uh, I, to be fair, I haven't lived in Carrigline since I was 18. I was actually living in Middleton just before I moved out here. Okay. Do you miss Cork then? But, yeah. Yeah, I miss I miss family. It's something crazy. And actually, it's my sister's birthday today, Kate, in Castle Martyr. So, yeah, I've missed a lot of major events in the family, being out here and not being able to travel. So that's I think that's the hardest part of, of the last 18 months is just, uh, yeah, not having that... Per, uh, you know, interpersonal connection with family, being able to, like, see them and give them a hug and stuff. So, yeah, yeah that's that's been difficult. Yeah. Well, that won't last much longer either until you can travel. Uh, Sarah McCarthy, thank you very much from the Algarve in Portugal in the old town of Albufeira on the beautiful Portuguese Algarve. Thank you for joining us this morning. 
No problem. Thanks, Nick, for having me. Thanks. Thank you. All the best. Bye-bye. Coming up on 9.30 now. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. Happy Friday, everybody. And as we do on the Neil Prenderville Show every Friday, of course, it's Free Food Friday with Oak Fire Pizza. They are real wood fire pizzas and they're now available in Douglas and Clannacilty, in Bandon, in Princess Street and in Gill Abbey Street with a new store just opened in East Village in Douglas. Look out for it. Oak Fire Pizzas. We have three winners every Friday and each winner will receive four pizzas and two sides. Okay? Uh, we will be uh, giving you vouchers for these uh, until the pandemic is over rather than deliver personally. Okay? Just for uh, sanitization purposes. But it's going to be exciting if you win. Three winners every Friday. Friday, each winner receiving four pizzas and two sides. So we've more to give away. Well, we'll have more winners. Uh, and what we're going to do is open the lines now. Oh, well, it's a text line, so it's open all the time. But please put lunch and your name, name of your company, and uh, how many people are there, if you can, to 086-8104-106. But do please put lunch as the first word uh, of your... I'll put Oak Fire Pizza if you wish. We'll, we'll pick them out, okay? So it's Oak Fire Pizza, real wood fire pizza now in Douglas, Clannacilty, Bandon, Princess Street and Galabi Street and now just opened in East Village in Douglas as well. Get texting and you may have some free pizzas coming your way. Uh, let's go to line one. Hi, Sharon. Hello, how are you? I'm great. Now, you had a car accident. Yeah, rather unfortunate situation and I thought I'd contact you because I'd hate this situation to happen to anybody else. What happened, I was stopped at traffic lights and a car rear-ended me and um, at the scene he promised to pay for the damages and all that so I didn't bother calling the guards to the scene, I know they're so busy and um, later in the evening he changed his mind and blaming me for rolling back and hitting him which is really impossible. Wow. Because, um, the front okay. left of his vehicle hit my right-hand back door of my transit van. He hit me on an angle as he swerved to miss me, not realising I was stopped. So, yeah, really unfortunate situation. And is there any um, CCTV footage? Were you in a, a busy or built-up area? No, I rang the guards um, hoping they might have the intersection um, with cameras, but no, they didn't because um, it wasn't in the city centre. So, um, yeah, it's just being dragged out. And there's 2,600 euros worth of damage to my back wow. door of my Ford Transit. Do, do you have a forward-facing dash cam, Sharon? No, no, I didn't. So that's um, something I should have had, obviously. And I even, if that, even if that didn't catch uh, the guy hitting you, it would have ca- caught the jolt and the time and, and would have mm-hmm. proven that you were stopped. Yeah, that's right. So it's just, I mean, you can see from the damage, it's obvious. It's crazy, and I can't even believe that he changed his mind. And you know, um, yeah, just very unfortunate that my back door doesn't close properly. Rain leaks in. It happened in the middle of April, and I'm just still waiting for his insurance company to come to a conclusion as to you know if they're going to pay out or not. Mm-hmm. So, but um, uh, they're hardly yeah. going to pay out if he's claiming that uh, you you did the damage by rolling into him. Well, the thing is, they did have a chat to me last week when I rang them because I've been ringing every couple of days just to see if there's any more information. And in the rear end incident, they said they have to actually prove that I rolled back into him and there's no evidence of that. So, you know, um, they told me basically not to worry. But, I mean, when it goes on and on and you don't get a resolution, you naturally worry. Yeah, what's the moral of the story here, Sharon? Always call the guards? 
If there's significant damage to your vehicle, um, obviously they're very busy and you don't want to call them if the bumper's fallen off and it's easy to fix. But if there's significant damage that you wouldn't be able to afford to pay for yourself, then you must call them to the scene and they'll take a report and a statement from each person and so forth. Okay, and I I suppose you can't cough up and get it fixed yourself because then you'll never get paid for it. I know, I know. It's um, yeah, it's just really unfortunate. So, um, I don't know. I've, if it doesn't go in through and get paid, I'll have to find a way to get it paid mm-hmm. um, somehow. Get a loan or something like that. Any other witnesses? If you don't have CCTV, you don't have dashcam footage. Are there any other um, witnesses to the accident? There's not, and I know I've found out you can get cameras on the on the vehicles that has a rear camera as well. So um, I'm getting one of those um, as soon as. You know, the back door gets fixed. Uh-huh. So, um, yeah, I'll get a front camera anyway. Um, but, yeah, it's it's just really unfortunate. Um, I can't believe it, really. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, really shocking that somebody would even do that after admitting at the scene and agreeing to pay for the damages and being, you know, very kind and I was very kind as well. Um, yeah, it just completely shocked me. And, and the funny thing is my transit van has... Um, ABS brakes, you know, it, it's got automatic brakes and things like that. So even there's just no logical way that I could have rolled back and hit him on a 45-degree angle. I must have been some pretty precision driver to be able to do that. Well, did you take any <laughs> photographs of, of your car or your van, his car, or whatever? I sure did. Um, I took photographs of the damage on both sides, you know, to prove where it wasn't damaged and where it was damaged. And I took photos that included the road to show it was dry and not raining, all of that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, that was just, um, thankfully I did that, um, which is good. Okay. Um, but, um, yeah, anyway, I just wouldn't want anybody else to suffer the same thing. And I guess the cameras are very important too. Um, I found them on Amazon for around 30 euros for a set of front and rear cameras. So and I'm they're easy They're easy to fit once you have a kind of a cigarette lighter attachment. Yeah, um, they are. So they're on the way. I'm hoping to get them pretty soon, actually. And um, they at least fit the front one. So, um, as you said, if it does happen again, which, you know, hope not. I'm not driving much. I'm um, guessing I'm guessing Oz or New Zealand, but I'm leaning towards Oz. Would I be correct? Australian, that's correct, yeah. yeah. My yeah. husband was there 30 years, and I tell everyone he brought home a souvenir. <laughs> <laughs> that's me. Is so, he from yeah. Ireland, yeah? He's from Dublin, yeah, but we settled in Cork. We what, what do you do here? Year. What do you use the van for? Um, I actually do wedding ceremonies, I'm marriage solemnizer, and I'm also a sound therapist. I have two, three large gongs now that I take around various centers and do meditation, yoga, and things like that. So, gongs, did you say? Um, yeah, large gongs, um, 32 inch gongs. I've got three of them, so they're very heavy, and um, you know, play the hang drums and different things like that. For sound does that therapy. help with meditation? Yeah, yeah, it's really beautiful, actually. It's really calming, and um, yeah, a lot of um, vibrational therapies are really good for um, yeah relaxation, stress reduction, all of that kind of thing. It's, it's remarkable, actually, um, what what people can achieve through doing that. Okay, um, well, really let's see if we can get get some of the uh, some of that money back to it for you. Where, where can people <laughs> yeah. access your healing therapies, uh, sound therapies? Is it? Oh, okay. Well, actually, I'm opening a new. Um, Centre on South Mall um, very soon. Um, and yeah, PythagorasInstitute.com is my website. So if people wanted to check that out and um, yeah, um, contact me through there if anybody wants to know any more about it. Um, I'm happy to talk to anybody. Um, Why Pythagoras? 
something to do with Pythagoras, triangles? Uh, Pythagoras was also the, well, one of the discoverers of music and the musical scales and the musical frequencies. And he prescribed music as medicine, strangely wow. enough. So I love the science of all of that. So, um, yeah, I love doing the research. And I teach sound therapists as well. Well, normally, not at the moment for about 15 months now, but <laughs> in generally, um, ordinarily, I teach sound therapists. Also. What was, well, what was Pythagoras' theorem? Is it, is it the square and the hypotenuse is, is it equal oh, to the, the sum um, of the squares the, on the other two sides or something? A, squ- a squared plus B squared equals C squared. The, um, you know, the length of the hypotenuse. So... That's what he's most famous for, I guess. How did we get onto this from a car crash? (laughs) You asked me why I used my transit (laughs) van for. I guess it's unusual for a... So how how do people contact you if they they want that treatment, Um, Sharon? Yeah, um, if they go to PythagorasInstitute.com, my website there has a contact form and my phone number's on there. So um, I'm not going to even try and call that out because I get the spelling wrong. Yeah, but if you wanted to have a chat to it about it someday on air, I'd be happy to chat to you about that. Sure, why not? All right, listen, best of luck. Keep the pressure on the insurance company. Uh, I think, you know, morally, the the right is on your side. They should. What's the recourse? You're going to go to court if you don't get paid? Well, if I don't get paid, I'm going to get a court order to put your man on a lie detector because I know he's telling, he's not not lying. I mean, sorry, I know he's not telling the truth. I know he's lying. So that'll be my next step. But hopefully I won't have to come to that. All right, Sharon. Um, So, yeah. The justice needs to be done, and the justice system's there to make sure that we're we're safe and justice gets served. So, um, yeah, but hopefully it won't come to that. Because I know a lie detector would sort things out once and for all. That's for sure. I'm not sure you think you you could force anybody to take a lie detector test. But maybe you can if you get the court order. But uh, I'm open yeah. to suggestion on that one. I mean, I'd love to hear if that if that actually happens and what and what transpires. But Sharon, I for now, thank you very can, much. Yeah. Thank you so much for cutting. See you later. All the best. Bye-bye. Okay, before we take a break, I just want to cover this because I said I would yesterday. There are a lot of uh, decent, big-hearted people out there who are donating to great causes. And we spoke uh, to people who are helping the homeless yesterday and the list of people here who have never looked for any publicity uh, in what they're doing and donating to Street Angels for their Monday night outreach run uh, I'm going to fly through it, but I think they all deserve a mention. Thanks to Tobin's for the delicious hot roast dinners, Donatello's and Domino's, Nova Centre, McCurtain Street and Oak Fire Pizzas, Princess Street for providing a selection of pizzas, Papa Bill's for chicken and chips, Top of the Hill donate carry-out minerals, uh, Deals and Douglas and Grand Parade for their huge selection of sweets and treats, uh, all assisting street angels, Lisa Geary and Andrina Holton for delicious cakes and toiletries, Rosalind Barrett gives hot dinners, Lisa and Katie Barrett for hot dinners, Fitzpatrick's, for a selection of deli food, clothes and desserts, Juliet Murphy and Buttevant provides hot dogs and sandwiches and biscuits. Big-hearted people all. Siobhan Whiteford has a selection of homemade cakes that uh, go out every week. Massey Town for rolls and sandwiches. Mary Buckley for beautiful chicken wraps in Whelan. Rosalie Han gives hot dinners in Mallow. Juliet Murphy gives hot dogs and sandwich bags. Fiona McInerney for goodie bags. Delzer Kipling, Fitzpatrick's, Murphy's Chipper, potato pies and batter sausages. Deirdre O'Keefe in Mallow and Paula Daly Mallow for milk, sandwiches, chocolate and bars, and Narigna in Mallow for sandwiches all right. Now now they have Baker Street Grown Abroad just coming on board, donating minerals and all sorts of uh, fresh produce, boxes of fruit. Clodagh Keenan gives sandwiches, and Top of the Hill uh, gives out a money donation every week towards hot dinners in Tobin's. And listen to this. There's a girl called Ellie Prendergast. She's nine years old, and she pays for dinners in Tobin's every week for our homeless friends. 
If there's anyone who else who'd like to donate or drop stuff to their table on Monday nights, please contact the Street Angels page on Facebook, Instagram, or you can ring 085-775-7986. That's 085-775-7986. And they appreciate everything that uh, goes on. Uh, as without the help of everybody I've just mentioned, they can't do the job. And they want to thank me and Neil Prendival as well for giving the opportunity out to thank everyone for all their help. So take a bow, big-hearted people all, and well done to everybody involved in Street Angels. Call the Neil Prendival Show now, 1850-104-106. Red FM. 13 minutes to 10. No to Navy is not an anti-defence forces slogan. It's residents in the Blarney area who are up in arms over the upgrade of the N20, and they fear losing their homes and their farms. Dee Hosford is the chairperson of the No to Navy group. Uh, Dee, it's Navy because that's the designated colour for the route. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Um, that's the name of the group, Mick. It's No to Navy, but really we're just uh, opposed to the entire motorway because there are other better, more viable options there, you know? Uh, like what? T- t- tell us well, Tell us what's proposed and tell us what you would like to have. Okay, so the, the, the main proposal is this is the new main Cork to Limerick route. So they're proposing, there's a few routes on the table. They're at route selection stage at the minute. So there's one route that will go sort of on the existing road. There's an, a brand new motorway then, which is a new motorway directly from Limerick City all the way into Blackpool. Um, and that's the, the, the route that we have uh, issue with because it's, it, just doesn't make any sense. Um, basically, what it does is it comes straight through prime agricultural land. It's going to put thousands, hundreds, if not thousands of people, you know, it's going to destroy their land. It's going to put them out of their houses. It's going to make farms unviable. So that's why we're against that. There is a perfectly good option down there, which is the upgrade of the existing N20. And I mean, the N20 uh, safety record has been in the news recently, and we know that that has to be done. And if they upgrade the existing N20, that will be quite sufficient to take the traffic on this end. Now, we're well aware as well of the, you know, the Atlantic Corridor and that you have to connect, you have to improve connectivity between Cork and Limerick. Um, and that, like, towns like Charleville, Butterfront, um, Mallow, you know, they're, they are bottlenecks and they do need bypasses and, and, and something needs to be done about the traffic out there. But on this end, from Mallow to Cork, we have a road that was upgraded as recently as January of last year and with a small few adjustments that road is perfectly able and capable to take the volume of traffic. Which one is the most cost effective D for the public purse? Uh, to the public purse, absolutely, without question, the upgrade. Um, currently, we were given by the planners in Limerick a budget of 900 million. But as recently as three weeks ago, Eamon Ryan was at the Transport Committee in Dublin and gave a cost of two to three billion. Now, it was a local issue, but it became a national issue very fast because if they have 900 billion, where is that extra billion, billion and a half going to come from? It's going to come from the taxpayers. And that's a national issue. That means that every working person in this country is going to end up paying for a road that's not necessary when upgrades can be done on the existing road for a fraction of the cost and actually work better. Because they have no nothing in place for the North Ring Road. How can you build a motorway with the capacity for 57,000 cars on a daily basis and feed them into Blackpool, which is already a bottleneck? Mm-hmm. 
living on the south side, and if you need to travel to Limerick, it, it really mm-hmm. is. It's, it's a trial because you've got to get into yeah. Blackpool first. It's pretty much a bottleneck both ways. Yeah. Uh, and they, even, yeah. though, even though Mallow has, you know, a workable bypass, uh, you, you yeah. can still get stuck there a little bit. And then it's into Butterfant and Charleville. Uh, you know, there, there's a little rat run around Charleville, to be fair, but it really, really yeah. does slow things down. And north of Charleville, everything just eases off then. And that's one of our big worries here. If you put a motorway out there, our secondary roads now, our country roads, are going to become a rat run for people avoiding the motorway. And as well, it divides the community. I mean, if we have kids going to primary school here, our, our school is a feeder school for, say, the secondary school in Blarney. Are we going to cross a motorway? Are we going to send our kids across the motorway every day to go to school? Where will the on-ramp be? Where will the off-ramp be? The planners haven't used joined-up thinking here. They've put out a proposal to the public, but they don't know where. We've asked them, where, where is this overpass going to be? Where is it? And our, they keep saying, oh, we don't know. We've asked for information from them countless times and traffic survey that was conducted in March 2020 and they've stonewalled us and refused to give us the information. So, I mean, you have to think, and I mean, please, uh, please be aware as well, we are so conscious of the fact that places like Butterfield, Charleville, they have to be bypassed at least, at the very least. I mean, the Ballybag Bend out by Butterfield are so sure. um, dangerous. But, but the, um, but the, 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 the South Ring Road is, is akin to the M50. It's a very, very high quality compared to the yeah. North Ring. The North Ring does need to be yeah. addressed. Absolutely. And I mean, unless they ha- unless they, they start at least the North Ring Road, it doesn't make sense to then build a motorway on this side to feed it into sure. Blackpool, which is already a bottleneck. So okay. again, there's no joined up thinking there from the planners. And it just created such, um, there's a lot of fear in our community because we have older people who are hearing word of mouth that this might be coming, it mightn't be coming. They don't know. And we've had not a lot of communication, correct communication from the, the planning office, unfortunately. So that's why we're having a public meeting now that the restrictions have eased a little. Okay, we're I'll come back to that in a, in a moment. You just stay with me for a moment. We have yeah. Cormac O'Keefe on line three. Hi, Cormac, your family home in Killeen's where you grew up 30 years ago, was the subject of a CPO, a, comp- a compulsory purchase order. Yeah, that's right. It was uh, fairly traumatic at the time, but it seems a long time ago now. But, uh, you know, you, you would think that lightning wouldn't strike twice, but here we go again with the, the Navy route. We're 150 metres into the Navy route, so we're facing another CPO. What, what will that mean for your home? It means you're, you're out of home. What's, you know, it, what, what sort of compensation is being offered for that? Well, at the time, it, there was a woman came out and she just looks through a few rooms and she decides what your home is worth and you get money to basically what they think it's worth. And that's it. You're, you're, like, I mean, at the time we had to rent a house in Donnybrook for six months and, you know, while we're trying to find our feet. So it's really disruptive and it's, um, it's not very nice, mm-hmm. sadly. Absolutely not. And and which route do you think is the best? Would you agree with D. Hosford? Well, obviously, Deirdre has outlined all the points. Like, I mean, all the hard work was done 30 years ago with, with, the, with the N20. Like, we lived through it. I like, remember the Old Mallow Road. Remember there was 101 bends on the Old Mallow Road? Yeah, that, that was obviously had to go. Like, and, you know, the N20 was warranted at the time. But, like, all, like, if you picture by the Sunset Ridge there, all that rock had to be blasted and dug out and... Um, you know, all the CPOs at the time of the farmers and the people's homes like us that had to 
face this disruption and take you know their property taken off them like that's all after being done so now why would you start again when, when and, and make that work a secondary road then well, like, if the Navy route is, is deemed best performing, in inverted commas is what they call it, like, you'll essentially have two roads, two major routes, an M20 and an N20, a kilometre in parallel running the same direction. Doesn't seem to make sense. You know, I, I know, I know we can't, you know, we, we can't look at the plans on radio, but that does, verbally, that does not seem to make sense. Well, you see, these people can, can hide behind engineering. And, like, we've had first account of that, like, with the blasting, that's, they, they don't do morals, they just do objectives. That's, that's the way they operate, and it's, it's, look, it's, it's, it is what it is, it's, it's not, it's not any, they don't do empathy, you know, it's just, they have a target, and that's it. And yeah. Like, I remember the time of the blasting, now, like, people had cracks, cracks developed in their homes, and, uh, they came around and said, should, those cracks could have been there before we started. Yeah, the engineering objectives always take precedence over, over local concerns, I think, and and that rankles with, with local populations. Yeah, like, I mean, no more than ever, we need biodiversity, we need nature, like, you know, like, it's it's all the digging, and as I said already, the, the, the way leaving and the, um, the obstruction, the diversions of streams and floodplains and rivers, like, people need to understand the scale of this thing, it's mega engineering, it's you know, there's constant noise and diesel and bulldozers going all day, and you know, like, and even the blasting was, was kind of traumatic because, like, there was a shed 30 yards away from my bedroom where I was sleeping. I was actually the closest to it that was full of explosives. Wow! You know, you wake up in the morning. There's a guy outside the door with a machine gun over his shoulder, with guard up on his back, and you know, the, the armor trucks who's come in and carrying the explosives and. Uh, you, you would just be saying, like, you know, it was literally like a delivery of money to a bank, you know, if you were seeing that, that, you know, all the, the guys sure. with the guns. And up uh, until then, I hadn't seen a machine gun in the flesh, like, but... Yeah, that's a bit scary. You, you, you guys are going to have a big meeting here on the 24th of this month in the White Church Waterloo Community Centre. Uh, that's right, yeah. Are you hoping for big numbers there? Well, we are restricted. Um, obviously, with the current restrictions, we can have 100 people at it. Out, so it's an outdoor meeting, obviously, enough. And we are obviously asking that everybody wear masks and social distance, and we can have 100 people there. Um, I think it's just the first opportunity that people are going to get to voice their opinions. We will have some political uh, people there on the night to speak as well uh, to give us their views on it. Um, but I suppose the, the main takeaway from this is that we're a very, very strong community here and we have an entire community behind us and we're not going to go away and we're not going to stop. There is a perfectly viable option down there which is the upgrade of the existing okay. road. Okay, D. Hosford and Cormac O'Keefe, thank you very much. Uh, we must take a break for news, so thank, thank you for you. putting it across so eloquently and the best of luck in all your efforts. Thank you. Thanks. News at 10 is next. Hey, it's Dave. Join me weekdays from four for Dave Max Drive, where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift at home. Big hits, loads of fun features and traffic info. What more could you need? Join me weekdays from four. Dave Max Drive. Get it off your chest. Text The Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Whoops. Now today at 3 p.m., the Lord Mayor of Cork Councillor Joe Cavanaugh will host a special ceremony online to add the names of Tomás McCurtain and Terence McSweeney to the role of honorary citizens in Cork in recognition of their huge contribution 
to the military and political aspects of Ireland's War of Independence and to the social fabric of uh, the city. And the Lord Mayor joins us on the line. Uh, Councillor Joe Cavanagh, Lord Mayor, good morning. Good morning, Mick. How are you doing? Very good. You're coming into the final furlong, as they say. You still have, what, about three weeks left in your tenure as First Citizen? Uh, no, one week. Is that all? <laughs> one week. We're, on, we're, on, we're, we're coming around the final end now, Mick. <laughs> well, you sound very relaxed about it all. You've had a great year. We'll get to that in a moment. But first off, I suppose, why Tomás McCurtain and Terence McSweeney? Well, I, I felt uh, in this year of commemoration, uh, Mick, I think we've had so many events where we've commemorated 100 years uh, since, uh, you know, the burning of Cork and, and the many events. It is a very significant year, 2020 and 2021. And indeed, uh, the, the next two or three years to come, there'll be many, we're going into a new phase of commemoration. But I felt it was critically important that we recognise and keep uh, alive and showcase um, the c- incredible contribution that Tomás McCurtain, former Lord Mayor, and Terence McSweeney, again former Lord Mayor, made in, in shaping our city and indeed shaping our country uh, and it is the Ireland and it is the Cork that we live in today thanks to people like Tomás McCurtain so it is a great privilege and an honour to me make this, um, to be able to facilitate this obviously you can't give them freedom of the city because they're dead but um, what we do when someone gets the freedom of the city basically um, ad- their names are added to the, the role of honorary citizens of Cork and, and that's that's the, that's the actual ceremony we're, we're going to undertake today. So they will be added to the role of honour of honorary citizens of Cork at 3pm today. Okay. Now, it's almost, of course, in those times when we didn't have social media, we didn't have much media. And these two guys would have been like, even though they weren't related, they would have been like JFK and RFK. And they were taken from us in a very, very short period of time. Tomás McCurtain was shot dead in his home on the 20th of March, 1920. And his status as the democratically elected first citizen of this city, a post you now occupy yourself following him, ensured that his death was reported around the world, drawing attention to the conflict that was taking place here in Ireland. Absolutely. I mean, back back then, Ireland was, or Cork in particular, was at the forefront. And um, there's been many historical documents and uh, highlighting this. And Cork was very much at the forefront in terms of a struggle for independence and, uh, you know, everything that goes with it and uh, the War of Independence and so on. But uh, this time, 100 years ago, even today, uh, Cork was uh, right at the forefront of these things. And, and Tomás McCurtain, as the Lord Mayor and as a member of the 1st Brigade and so on, um, he was uh, he was a real leader, both locally and nationally, um, as Lord Mayor of Cork. And the role of Lord Mayor of Cork was totally different back then, making you are right. I mean, you wouldn't be walking around, walking down Patrick Street with a chain around your neck back in 1920 because uh, you wouldn't last too long. And that's what's happened to Moss McCurtain and Charles McSweeney. Their, 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 their high mm-hmm. profile and so on attracted um, attention from the Crown forces. And um, that's why he was shot, uh, McCurtain. And McSweeney obviously was, was arrested at the back of City Hall, coming out the back of City Hall. And, and their uh, successor... It was a fabulous book written by him about him recently by Equilivan, um, the forgotten Lord Mayor, Don Logo Callaghan, went on to be Lord Mayor for the next four years. And um, he spent little or no time in Cork, really. He was coming and going a lot. He spent a lot of time in America. He was on the run quite a lot. 
because you wouldn't be hanging about waiting to be arrested back in those days, you know? Okay, because, yeah, Terence McSweeney was a playwright as well as being a politician. He was, above all, I think, a cultural nationalist as well as occupying, of course, uh, the commanding officer of the Cork No. 1 Brigade of Oglygna Heron. Uh, And he died on hunger strike in 1920, so it was quite the heady year for losing Lord Mayors for this city. Absolutely. Uh, 1920 was a, was a, a terrible year for, for Cork and for Ireland, really, uh, losing two such iconic leaders in such tragic uh, circumstances. Um, one being assassinated by uh, Crown forces and the second one uh, being imprisoned and going on hunger strike in protest, protesting his innocence and, um, you know... Ireland, Ireland really, and Ireland internationally, and these, these, these the deaths of McCurtain McSweeney internationally were looked on um, as a tragedy, really, to be honest with you. But as a watershed Ireland. as well. Big time, absolutely. It was a watershed because there, there, it, it, there were turning points in our history. There really were, and we had the foundation of the state, etc., uh, subsequent to their deaths, but they were true martyrs. They really were, and, and and I'm I'm taking great pride today in remembering them. And so many people have written about them. Uh, we have a lot of fantastic historians in Cork that have kept their memories alive. And I think um, the history of McCurtain and McSweeney and everything that went on back in 1920 and surrounding years should really be showcased in our schools as part of the history curriculum, and sometimes not often enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, because we see on the other side of the water in, in the UK uh, a certain sanitisation uh, of their historic involvement in, uh, in the world places. But uh, here, and of course, you, you did it in, in the 100th year, because on the 12th of October, as Lord Mayor, you proposed, and it was approved by Ancorla, that the name of Terence McSweeney be added to the role of honorary citizens of Cork, and also approved by Ancorla that the name of Tomás McCurtain be added. That's coming to fruition today. We have COVID restrictions. It's not going to be the pomp and ceremony it would normally be. So it's going to be on YouTube. Tell us about that. Well, you know, under normal circumstances, um, and it got unanimous approval uh, at our council meeting back in October when I proposed um, that we would award the uh, we would add the names of McCurtain and McSweeney to the role of honour of Cork honorary citizens, and um, we obviously in normal circumstances this would be a huge ceremony in the concert hall. All 31 elected members in attendance, plus members of the families in question, plus um, many civic leaders, etc. And we would have a full concert hall uh, with a full civic um, event inside. And and look, unfortunately, due to COVID, it's going to be a very uh, restricted event. Um, I think there's less than 20 people at it, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, obviously, it's going to be live streamed. Thanks, thanks to modern technology, we're going to live stream it and it'll be obviously saved for posterity, really. But look, it's um, unfortunate we can't do it the way we'd always honour our, our citizens in, in this way. But look, we are going to uh, treasure their memory and save their memory and showcase um, the, the massive contribution, the significant contribution that Tomás McCurtain and Terence McSweeney have made Cork and indeed to our country. Okay, so this is all going to happen, uh, Lord Mayor, on Cork City Council's YouTube channel. How, how can people yeah. access that? Is it easy to find? It's very easy to find. You'll find it online on Cork Council website, but you'll also find it 
Um, if you've got a smart TV, you just look up uh, apps and go into YouTube TV and you find look up Cork City Council's YouTube TV channel. And there's lots of very interesting stuff in there, you know, lots of civic events and lots of events that are going on around the city that are um, being featured on, on on that YouTube channel and saved on that YouTube channel for posterity. Okay, well, well done for recommending that this happen. Uh, we, you've had unanimous support, uh, support of course, by Encorla. Uh, and just on a personal note, how has the year been for yourself and Stephanie and what have been the highlights? There's been there's been so many highlights. Make to pick out one would be uh, difficult, really, to be honest with you. But you know, it's been a completely different year. Uh, obviously, with the COVID restrictions, um, there's been no international travel. Um, there's been no big dinners or lunches or any of that kind of stuff. And which which suits me fine, to be honest with you, because at heart, make and anybody that knows me knows that I'm first and foremost a community man at heart. My my year as Lord Mayor has been totally and utterly community focused, uh, which which really um, suited my agenda anyway because I am a community man and I want the, the mayoral role this year to focus on communities. And you know what? Communities never played such an important role in our lives and, you know, in their contribution to uh, combating the restrictions and keeping people connected, um, you know, in these very, very challenging times, whether it's whether it's sporting organisations or community organisations, I was there on the forefront with these people and doing the very best I can throughout the year to engage with them. Um, our business community also, make I supported our business community and I will be hopefully getting around to businesses uh, before my term ends next week. But supporting business communities who've had such a difficult time over the last 12 to 15 months. Um, it's, it's been a know, re- remarkable year for somebody like yourself to be in office and... and uh, you know, I, yeah. I, I guess as you look back with fondness, there's never been a, a preceding Lord Mayor, I don't think, that's harnessed the power of social media uh, as a way to communicate in these COVID times with, with the citizens of Cork. Absolutely, Mick. But you know something? You, you have to find ways of reaching out to people. You have to find ways of communicating with people. And people need to know what's happening. And in fairness to um, our local radio stations, um, our local radio stations, social media... Uh, and our press media have done an unbelievable job uh, throughout the year in keeping people engaged, in keeping, and, and you know what, it plays, plays you know, into positivity for people. Uh, people suffer from things like mental health and so on if they feel that they're disengaged, and it's so important. And I engage through my social media platforms throughout the year to the very best of my ability to let people know what I'm doing, letting people know what's happening, letting people know what's going on in terms of restrictions and in terms of events and what you can and can't do. Because once once you keep in touch with people, and those two words, keeping in touch, are probably the most important words you will have in the English language, particularly over the last 15 months. Um, because uh, particularly given the, la- the difficulties and the challenges we've had, you know. Okay. Well, enjoy the last week, Joe. I, I don't imagine tennis coaching will become calling. Is there a political future ahead, do you think? <laughs> tennis coaching definitely is, uh, in, in my well and truly in my past at this stage. <laughs> um, and a political future? Would you like it? Oh, well, Mick, that's not for me to decide. Um, and, you know, that's for that's for the people to decide, and that's for political parties and things like that. I mean, that's way beyond my... 
That's way above my pay grade, Mick. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but you are, you are a, a great community activist. You do an awful lot for the people in your constituency. We salute you for that. Lord Mayor Joe Cavan, enjoy the last week. Regards to Stephanie, uh, and I think you'll finish off in some style. If you can do a round robin and get around to all the businesses, uh, then I think you'll give the city that little bit of an extra lift as they come back into the hospitality sector. Lord Mayor Joe Cavan, the best of luck with the ceremony today at three o'clock. And... Uh, Enrolling, I suppose, Lord Mayor Tomás McCurtain and Lord Mayor Terence McSweeney to the role of honorary citizens of Cork. Thank you, Lord Mayor. Thank you, Mick. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Good morning from the Neil Prenderville Show. And now we go to Marguerite. Good morning, Marguerite. Hi, yeah. Hi, how are you? Now, Marguerite, I'll get straight to the point. You are living in a car. I'm sleeping in the car, me and my partner. Okay, sleeping in the car each night of the week, every night? Every single night of the week since Christmas. Since Christmas. And what brought this on, Marguerite? We were in a caravan in Mahan. We were on the council grounds. From the council grounds, we got put into the family hub, the Redcliffe. Okay. Um, ever since uh, I went down to Ennis to see my mother and my brother's grave, and my car broke down and we were told that we were we were not allowed to reside back in the Redcliffe because we missed one day of the restrictions. Can you explain can you explain that to me? Well, I was down in Ennis and we were told that um we wouldn't allow back in because we were meant to be back on the but we came back on the Wednesday instead because my car broke down okay. and I came back one day later. And why are you under these restrictions? Uh, it was the COVID uh, restrictions. Okay. So you you broke a COVID rule because your car broke down? My car broke down. I was down in my mother and brother's grave. Okay. So what happened then? Uh, we came back up then and I actually cried into their faces and I explained that they're putting me and my children homeless. And like, she just said like that, there's nothing that they can do. There's nothing that they can do for us. Okay, so how, they, they just told you you couldn't stay in the family hub anymore because of they a one day late... They just couldn't stay in the family hub anymore, yeah. Okay. I, don't, I really can't understand that. So they essentially put you on the street then, is it? Yeah. Um, yeah, we couldn't then stay in the family hub no longer because of the... Um, the way that we broke the COVID restrictions and broke the COVID restrictions and everything. And now, like, I have my kids. My kids now, like, she's crying here beside me. And, like, right now, me and my partner and kids are sleeping. Me and my partner is in the car and my kids are sleeping in their grandparents' on a mattress. So the kids are at least we're, housed, we're, they're, they're in grandparents they're, on a mattress, but you guys are both sleeping in, in a car. Me and my partner are sleeping in a car. There is an idle house in Rochestown. The council knows where it is. I have given numerous calls. They won't get back to me. I was in the council Wednesday two weeks ago. They told me and my partner that we would get a call back. We got no call back on that Monday ever since. I'm still ringing. I just want people to hear my story and understand the way I'm homeless. I suffered with severe depression myself. When I was inside the family hub, I took a nervous breakdown. I have been into hospital twice with self-harm. 
Okay, and your son also I needs a little bit of space, I believe. Is that true? My son is getting diagnosed with autistic. In the upcoming week, he has an assessment of the assessment of needs. He's going for a dietitian's physiotherapy, speech and language therapy, and he's hypermobility, he's dyslexia. He's literally, my son is just traumatized. We're all traumatized over the way that we're living. We just cannot live like this. I'm trying to literally explain to the council the way that we're living. So, like, to be honest, if the council could only just put their feet in our shoes for just one moment, they would realize how hard it is to live the way we're living with three young kids. It's so hard. So there's there's not enough room in the grandparents' house where there the kids are staying. There's not enough room in the grandparents' house. The grandparents' house is overcrowded. Me and my partner... Myself and my partner, we haven't got our own facilities. We, to be honest, like we barely even have food. And the council knows all of our situation. All we're doing, I'm just a mother crying out for a bit of help, looking for a home for myself and my family. That's all I'm doing. I'm just looking for a roof over my head. I'm not asking for anything extra. Are you looking for some more permanent or would some more temporary be okay for the moment? Right now, temporary would be great, but it needs house because the council knows my conditions with my son he cannot be in a big place with crowded people he needs his own space his own routine he, he needs his own space and I'm prone to infections I'm prone to chest infections I'm prone to kidney infections I have an appointment with my doctor today with the same issue my son has an appointment with his both feet and like the whole council knows what way we're struggling so you're calling for somewhere even temporary so that you can all live as a family under one roof? Yes, there's, my kids is living with my, their grandparents under the one roof while me and my partner is sleeping in my, my husband's parents' car. Okay, things are pretty bad, Marguerite. They're ridiculous. Like, to be honest, no one, I mean no one, should live a life like the way we're living. Like, even a cat or a dog on the street would not live the way we're living. It's just ridiculous. I just want the council to hear me and hear where I'm coming from. I'm just a mother who's just looking for a home for my kids. That's all I want. Okay, and you're looking for somewhere, uh, the kids, and let's not mention the school, but I know the kids are going to uh, school on the south side. And we need a place near there with the school buses. We only get the buses. We get the buses every morning to cross them to school and every day to pick them up. We're only walking. We're not driving. We need somewhere near to the schools. Okay. And you hope your appeal will be heard by uh, the powers that be and that I something hope, will come from and it. I really, really hope that if the council just took our situation into their consideration and just realised just for a moment what would it be like if they were living like us? It's like, it's not fair. Like, we're, I'm just, I'm just a woman. Like, I'm just, I just want to be there for my family. I want to provide for my family. And are either of you working, Marguerite? None of us is working, no. <laughs> no. I'm on um, disability allowance. Okay. I suffer from severe depression. I lost my mother to cancer in January 20, sorry, in December 2019. And I lost my brother due to suicide in January 2020. Five weeks in between. Like, that's enough to cope with. And then more than being homeless, I just can't cope the more. I don't think how much I can, how much more, like, I can take. What was it like living in the car in the cold months that oh had just passed? Oh, my God, like, living in the car, the ice, the cold. 
breaking through the window. You imagine sleeping in the car like for one second. We're actually trying to warm ourselves up with our own skin. It's that bad. All right, Marguerite. Um, you're, well, you've made your point. You've made your case. Uh, I just hope, I really just hope that if the council just listens to what I have to say, that they might just consider it for my family, for my son, somewhere near our children's school. All right, Marguerite. Thanks for putting your point across uh, on the Neil Prendeville show Thank this morning. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Good Thanks. morning. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Bye. You're listening to the number one talk show in Cork, the Neil Prendeville show. It's the best in Cork. On Red FM. And Neil returns to the hot seat uh, bright and early just after nine o'clock news on Monday morning. Now the Gate Cinemas uh, are reopening, of course, and welcoming back uh, cinema goers. And to welcome back to the magic of the big screen experience, some Cork families, we have uh, a family pass to give away. Not now, but a little later on, okay? Uh, we spoke yesterday about the uh, the Philip Linet show, uh, and that's one of the shows uh, that's on here. So if you're looking for a family pass to go to the uh, Gate Cinemas, and welcome back, Mallow and Middleton, we have a family pass uh, for you, but you'll have to wait uh, until you hear the Thin Lizzy songs. Okay, on the Neil Prendival Show, uh, we're happy to dovetail with yesterday and give away uh, a specific pass for the Philip Lynott movie, Songs for While I'm Away. So we're going to play a Thin Lizzy song. We're going to pick, pick Sarah, uh, and we're go- we'll play that between now and 12 midday. And when you hear it, we'll take caller number 20 for the Gate Cinemas. Don't call just now. Wait until you hear uh, Thin Lizzy and Sarah. Now we have a response from Cork Kerry Community Healthcare. All acute mental health units are in... Uh, are Sorry, it's for a different call. I beg your pardon. Okay. Uh, on the subject of the uh, bikinis for the nine-year-old girls, New Look, we should boycott New Look. Sexualizing children is disgusting. Hi, Mick. These days, uh, there are one-piece bathing suits, two-piece bikinis with tops and bottoms, and even three-piece bikinis with the old masks. Won't somebody please think of the tan lines? says Richie in Toker. Hi Mick, I have no major issue with padded bras. I personally prefer padded bras because of obvious nipples. Nothing to do with making my bust look bigger. And a lot of young girls, even nine-year-olds, have the same problem and might feel self-conscious about it. My issue with the bikini is the design. They look like adult bikinis. I wouldn't take much notice of a teenager wearing it, but for under-13s, they are a definite no. I think that's the main issue, uh, not the padding. Padded bikinis or bras for children can be made without them looking sexy or revealing. Nine-year-old kids don't go to pennies and buy bikinis. It's the mothers of these kids who decide to buy. And uh, we'll do one more on that for now. Hi, Mick. I think it's a man thing that uh, would look at the padded bikini that they're selling and you look as sexualizing kids. I'm 45 years old. I always wear a padded bra. Not to give me bigger boobs, as they don't look bigger in the bra, but it's to stop people seeing my nipples sticking out through the top. And we have a load of texts uh, on that particular issue. Uh, I got a text as well, and if this is true, maybe we could uh, organise a little uh, route around it. But apparently, and I don't know if this is true, but apparently Joe Cavanagh is the only Lord Mayor that Michael O'Regan, the Echo Boy, never got his photo taken with in about 50 years. So Michael has a long-standing tradition. Michael's well-famous in Cork, and he's a long-standing tradition of getting his photograph with the Lord Mayor. Now, due to the COVID lockdown and distancing restrictions, this hasn't happened. So we kind of have a week to make it happen. And I'm not suggesting flouting any of the uh, COVID restrictions, but uh, maybe a socially distanced, two metres apart picture could be organised if the Lord Mayor is still listening uh, with the Echo Boy Michael O'Regan who has uh, a stock of photographs over the last 50 years and let's not break that uh, tradition uh, because of COVID. Let's see if we can do it responsibly, socially distance and get Michael his picture with uh, Lord Mayor Joe Cavanagh. Now on Sinead is on line one. Hi Sinead. Hi Mick. 
Now, you're saying the existing N20 could be upgraded for less money, pretty much the argument we're getting from the local residents here. Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. The same argument, I think, that you've heard from the other callers that have been in. Um, I think there's, it's a pointless waste of money spending um, what they're now saying could cost up to €3 billion Euro on a motorway when there's already three existing parallel roads running in that same direction at the moment. And listening to your previous caller who's homeless, surely money could be uh, spent on services that are required for homeless people or the hospitals, which have obviously been working tirelessly through a pandemic, which are under-resourced and lots of other services that are um, under-resourced in this country at the moment. I I suppose, and I kind of have to play the devil's advocate here, that uh, the powers that be will be looking at the... Um, the suitability of the transport infrastructure, not just for us, but for generations to come. You would still advocate that the uh, existing features of the Mallow Road and onwards should be... Now, we know that Charleville and uh, Bullivant need to be bypassed. Uh, yes. But first of all, you would, you, you, you would probably agree with our previous callers, the North Ring needs to be addressed. And then you can Absolutely. look at... Absolutely. There's a huge bottleneck in in Blackpool. I I agree with that, with all the traffic coming in. But currently, there's only 3,000 cars coming from Limerick to Cork every every day. A new proposed motorway would deal with 57,000 cars. We don't need that huge increase when we have, you know, environmental bills and targets that we have to reach. Um, And there's a uh, you know an existing railway that could be upgraded and needs to be and and under the current CMAPS um plan that they are going to um open train stations along the route of the existing road the N20 the existing N20 so all those things need to be looked at and and upgraded to be you know to make more sustainable environmentally friendly travel as well yeah the the uh, topography of of the routes uh, as we heard from a previous caller you know it's going to require some blasting it, it's it's not yes. just a flat plain you're going through here to get to limerick there are no not at all no up in around the mornard uh, treatment area there is uh, you'll have to go in um either over or under the current railway line which will be obviously disruptive for the cork Dublin line as well and the gradient is so steep off that way that you can't even like trucks have um, trouble getting up there at the moment so I, mm. I don't I don't know what the uh, you know the proposal is I think we haven't um, you know this hasn't it, it would seem that there seems to be a lack of planning um, in relation to the whole thing and a lack of consultation with local communities um, so now, it's easy, I suppose, for, for critics to, to trot out the line, you know, there's a lack of joined up thinking that comes out with, with every uh, critical aspect of any project. But would it be correct that what you guys would be looking for would be, number one, uh, the upgrading and making fit for purpose and fit for volume of the North Ring. Number two, the upgrade uh, to motorway status of the existing roads and not to run a brand new expensive uh, motorway parallel about a kilometre away. And number three, feed this into the uh, an improved Mallow bypass and a new bypass for Buttevant and Charleville. Yes, I think I, I think there is you know there isn't a requirement in all areas for a full motorway. I think they could upgrade areas of it to uh, of the existing N20 to dual carriage um status. You know, it also needs to be done in line with um work that needs to be upgraded on the existing railway so that that can increase um you know that can take increased um, volumes of people on on it, um, and that the North Ring needs to be sorted out as well for that all to be feed in and mm. joined up thinking to happen. There's a village in East Cork that I find very very hard to pass to, especially on a sunny day because it's feeding into all the beaches, and that's Killa. There's often yes. huge huge uh, backlogs uh, getting into Killa. Is I wonder 
if the people in that area would, would also be uh, calling for a bypass there because that's essentially the Cork-Waterford road and you've got to go through yes. Killa and Castle Martyr. Sorry, it's Castle yes, Martyr. Yes. Sorry, Castle Martyr's the, wor- yes, the worst Castle one. Martyr, yeah. and then And then Killa is almost as bad but Castle Martyr's definitely uh, the worst one. It's backed up there to almost that lake of days. Yes, yeah, absolutely, yeah. But again, that's, you know, it would be, again, for the council to have some planning in relation to Okay, are you going to head along to the meeting, uh, the 100-person meeting? Definitely, absolutely, yeah. I um, I wonder how they're going to police that. Are they going to give out tickets or what? Or the first 100 in? I I know that the community centre has a large area, and I I know that, like, there's, um, you know, there's a a big green space area that can be used for it. So hopefully, you know, and there will be, there's obviously other members on the committee apart from... um, one of your previous callers, Sergio, so um, they will help to monitor, I think, I'm sure. I'm sure it'll be stewarded and in guidelines with, uh, in line with COVID restrictions at the the moment. Okay, well, the obvious one to me who's uninitiated in engineering and costings and road building and and all that kind of thing is the improvement of the uh, North Ring, uh, the improvement of the existing structures that are there, the existing feeding uh, structures into Mallow, maybe an improvement of the Mallow Bypass, uh, and then finally a bypass for for Charleville and Butterfield. Uh, but, you know, uh, I'm sure there will be engineering and planning and costing uh, issues to argue against that as well. I'm, I'm sure there will be. You know, I, there is, as you can, as I've said, there's a huge cost to building a huge new motorway, like of, you know, 3 billion euro or is, is massive amount of money that could be used. You know, it's taxpayers' money. It could be used for a lot more better purposes um, when there is existing roads already there that really could be done and upgraded for okay. a lot cheaper. Sinead, thanks a million. So, thanks, Mick. Thank you. Take thanks. Care. Bye-bye. I'm just drawn to one story I didn't get to in the uh, newspaper review in The Independent. Uh, on the day when we uh, pass one million fully vaccinated citizens uh, in the Republic, the COVID-19 vaccine portal is open to people aged 30 to 39 next week. But apparently there's been a slowdown in jabs this week amid uncertainty over lack of deliveries. So from next week, pharmacists are also due to administer vaccines for their first time with the aim of offering the jab to around 140,000 people over 50 who have not yet uh, registered. This makes perfect sense, uh, especially in rural areas where people wouldn't have to have to travel to the big operation centres uh, for getting the vaccine. There's also apparently going to have a, uh, there'll be a limited supply of Pfizer vaccine uh, to give to people who live very far from vaccination centres. So it's all coming together uh, in a sense. It comes amid continuing uncertainty over deliveries, though, of vaccines and concern that people in their 60s are being outpaced by younger, less at-risk people who are getting fully vaccinated with two doses earlier. And that, of course, is referring to, as we had a caller on from Cove, uh, about that, and that is about the AstraZeneca vaccine and the necessary reduction in wait time from 12 weeks. I think it's down to eight weeks. They're calling for it to come down to even six if that is possible. Now it's coming up on 16 minutes to 11. Talk to Neil Printerville now. 1851 Red FM. And back to our phone lines we go on to Catherine Clancy on line six. You're back again, Catherine. Hi, Mick, how are you? Very good. Happy to do a little bit of housekeeping and to announce that your Magazine Road Residents Association, we spoke with you about this, and now you're going to be holding a silent vigil. We are this afternoon um, at a, a private rented property on Magazine Road. Well, I have to say, first of all, Mick, you know, this time last year, things were a lot worse 
and we have many landlords now have taken our concerns on board. But there is a handful of landlords um, who really are still ignoring the residents. And for instance, the house where we're holding the um, vigil this afternoon, the landlord has not responded uh, to any phone calls by the residents re uh, the antisocial behaviour at his house last night. And it, this house has been a persistent offender. And going back, I suppose, Mick, to the old um, issue and it's a long issue for us in the non-registration of properties. You know, um, it, it appears on our last check that this property is not registered with the RTB, which is a statutory requirement uh, by law. And when it isn't registered, it really is very difficult for us as residents to make a complaint to the RTB because it slows down the process. So from the landlord's point of view, we feel he has a duty of care to his neighbours and that he needs to manage his property. All we can witness in this case is that the landlord is managing his bank account, but when it comes to managing the property, we see no evidence at all of that. Okay. So it's the start of the summer. We've had changes of tenancies last week, and uh, we see now that we need to nip this in the bud, and that we as residents are entitled, as Judge Owen Kelleher said last year, we're entitled to the enjoyment of a home. So we'll hold that vigil. Hopefully it will give us um, some results and give the message to other landlords, you know, that we are not uh, going to put up with um, they uh, ignoring their duty of care of managing their privately rented properties, which is a huge business, giving them huge incomes, and they need to take responsibility. What will the silent vigil consist of? Just standing outside a house, standing on the property, no, we, around we have, the property? We have, no, we won't be on the property by any means, um, Mick. You know, we have a big resident association. We'll only have a number uh, of residents. You know, we only want four or five residents to attend, given it's just the frontage of a property, and also to be compliant with uh, COVID-19 sure. regulations. Okay, yeah. now, uh, I'm, not being, I'm not being flippant, but uh, mm-hmm. it, what sort of pressure is this going to put on people who could essentially well, we be asleep if they were partying all night? Well, we hope by half past two, three o'clock that they'll be awake. You know, they usually surface maybe to go for a coffee around that time, you know, or maybe in some cases, which is awful, to uh, go back up to the off-licence. Um, if they walk out past you, for instance, will you be able oh, to hold your engaged. tongue or are you going to stay silent? No, we will not be engaging. And in the end of the day, no matter who's inside in that house, Mick, the responsibility of how it's managed, run and maintained is the responsibility of the landlord. Tenants change, say the landlord stays. And it's just these persistent offenders when it comes to managing their houses. There's a handful of them there and they need to be dealt with and by right be dealt with through the RTB, you know, but um, there is a compliance issue there as well. Okay. Not being registered. Okay, we'll wish you the best with it. 2.30pm to 3pm. 2.30, to 3. But, you know, we have a lot of elderly residents and even for some of them to stand for that long is difficult. Okay, you're very kind. Thanks, Catherine. Okay, thanks, Mick. Happy to publicise it for you. Okay, we're keeping the pressure on there in uh, Magazine Road with the Magazine Road Residents Association. On air travel in Cork Airport, I live in Edinburgh and waiting for both countries to open up and then I'm looking forward to flying into Cork. Another texter says, what's the point of flights starting out of Cork again? When they're closing for three months soon. We dealt with that text actually uh, with Kevin Colnell. He answered it very well. Is the HSE vaccination card accepted as proof in Malaga Airport? I imagine it will be when it comes to its digital form. Uh, who would want to go to uh, pay to go to Lanzarote in Portugal and sit on a beach with a face nappy on? Stay at home until they're forced to accept antigen tests. Hit them where it hurts in their pockets, says another texter. Now, Dr. Nick Flynn joins us on line one. Good morning, Dr. Nick. Good morning. Good we've, morning. Also, we've also spoken to you in the last couple of weeks on the Neil Prendeville show. Your practice, of course, is mycorkgp.ie. 
that's correct, Mick. And uh, listen, thanks very much for uh, having us on air this morning. It, it's just really, we're trying to get the message out to our patients this morning, Mick, that there's been uh, an issue in our main building, which is St. Mary's Primary Care Centre. Uh, so there's been an issue with, with the plumbing, which is compromised electricity in the building. And there's no uh, risk to uh, life or limb, but the, our, our systems are down, so our server is down and our phones are down. And unfortunately, uh, that means that for our system, that our, our phones are down in Douglas, Granada, North Main Street, and Toker as well. Wow, so it's a network system, is it? Well, yeah, well, it, 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 our, our computer software for running the practice runs off the server in the building, uh, okay. as does the phone system, it's an internet phone system. So at the moment, we don't have an update for when they'll be back. We're hoping it'll be in the afternoon, uh, but we're very thankful to you for the opportunity just to get the message out to our people. Sure, no, no problem. There's an alarm going off there in the background, is there? There's an alarm from the building going off in the background, yes. So it's all, it's all very fresh. It's all very stressful for you today. So, so yeah. the effect of all of this, of course, is any patients expecting vaccine callbacks and other callbacks will not receive them today until at least at the earliest of the afternoon. And this is for Douglas, Grena, North Main Street uh, as well. Yeah, and Toker, yeah. And Toker right, as yeah. well, okay. Uh, how is the rollout going uh, in general? Very well, yeah, very well. Uh, we Like this week, um, we're finished, our, our, our over 70s are, are well finished with two doses, and this week we're finishing our vulnerable groups, the Category 4, Category 7s, in the uh, under uh, 78-year-olds. And actually, we, we, we had kind of reached the end of that those cohorts, and we were starting on our uh, patients' ages under 40, so... Uh, 39 and down so, so look we, it's going really well um, and, and we're very happy with the, with the uptake and we, we're finding in the community very little vaccine resistance and hesitancy thankfully so yeah no the vaccine, vaccine programme is going very well Okay uh, Okay 35 to 40 year olds will also start registering from next week so once again if you're expecting a call back from Dr Nick's practice mycorkgp.ie the main centre's practice has had to close and because it, hose, it houses the main server any patients expecting vaccine callbacks and other callbacks will not receive them today and that's in Douglas and Grena in North Main Street and in Toker as well Thanks very much, Nick. I really, really appreciate okay. that. Thank no, you. No problem. Thanks, Dr. Yes, Nick Flynn there. Bye-bye. Uh, so if you are expecting those vaccine callbacks, it may not come today or it may be later in the afternoon. Now, I'm going to get to some texts. Uh, I'm going to mention our competitions again. Uh, and of course, uh, our main competition every Friday is our Free Food Friday competition for Oak Fire Pizza. And we will have Oak Fire Pizza vouchers to give away to our winners. And of course, you can sample the uh, famous and becoming even more famous Oak Fire Pizza in Clonakilty, in Bandon if you're in West Cork, in Princess Street in Cork, in Douglas, and in Galabi Street. And the new store has just opened in East Village in Douglas. We're going to pick three winners in the next hour. Uh, and they will receive four pizzas and two sides, okay? Uh, so what we have is, uh, our text line is open, 0868104106. Put lunch before your name and the number of people, and uh, we'll see if you get looked after in the draw. Amari Ireland Limited on the Tremor Road. Mark and all the gang at Unifield Global Packaging Group in Carrick Tool would love some Oak Farm Pizza. It's our first week back, all in the office uh, since the lockdown, regards, says Mark. The IDA Business and Technology Park in Carrick Tool. Please send some pizzas to the Cork Recycling Company. The lads have been working hard through COVID and we've never won before. I'd like to nominate my colleagues and friends in St. Anne's Wards in Marymount Hospice who do an amazing job every single day and deserve a little treat from Karen. Hi Mick, we'd love vouchers some lovely pizza for all the lads here in Jerry's Car Wash Valet Centre and Fuel Depot in Canturk. 
I love Kenturk, gorgeous town. We listen to Red FM all the time, so it'll be great to win something. All the gang at Euro Car Parts in Paladuff, we worked through the whole pandemic and we love pizza. All the gang in Cork's newest salon, Shade and Co. on the South Douglas Road. We'd also appreciate the shout out for the new business, says Dean. Well, the new business, Shade and Co. As to Dean and all the gang there at the uh, newest salon in Cork. I'm Ailish in Mitchellstown here, working from home for 14 months. Please send some pizza. Would love a pizza for my son Aaron, or Aaron, working for VMware from home, and my daughter Ellen, who's a Leaving Cert student. They'd both love a pizza to relieve the, the stress. Uh, John Gray, Auto Services in Middleton. Dave and the lads in Doyle Shipping Group and Tivoli Docks. We'd love some pizza for lunch. Georgia Regan at Euro Car Parts in Ducline Industrial Estate. Cool Cower Vets in McCroom. Uh, I'd love some pizza from Eric and the lads at Pro Valet in Mahon Point. Loving the show and keep up the good work. Uh, lunch, please, all the gang and Bart, Barter Travel in Bandon. We'd love pizza to share with our neighbours in the Old Market Shopping Centre. Lunch would be great for all the staff working hard in Ballyfehan Health Centre, especially Sarah, as she loves her grub. Uh, I think Sarah would be too happy with that. Uh, lunch, please, for all at ECI, JCB and Carrick Tool. Happy Friday to all. Have a great weekend. They're constantly texting in too. Aoife uh, and all the lads in Auto Express Dublin Hill would love some pizzas. Maria at Keepsake Candles and Frames. Uh, I'd love to win some pizza and I would share with my hubby and my five hungry boys who are never full. Good morning, Mick. I'd love to win the pizza voucher for my daughter, Charlie, who recently celebrated her ninth birthday. C-H-A-R-L-E-Y. Lovely name for a girl. This would be a lovely treat for her and her friends for a picnic, says Natasha in Clannacilty. Free Food Friday for all at the Labour Ward and Theatre Midwives in the COMH. Lunch for the hardworking weather department and underpaid but very happy farmers Arthur and Steve. We'd love a break from cooking, says Wendy. Free Food Friday, Noreen Hall and the brilliant gang at O'Mahony Walsh in Main Street, Balancholic. Could you send a voucher to my daughter, Linda Coughlin? Or Colin, I never know which it is. She's just home from CUH after major surgery. It would be a lovely boost for herself, her husband and her grandson from her mum, Mary. A big shout out to all the countywide drains in Dripsy. Cleaning drains since COVID started. We're all hungry for pizza. Our Lady Crown Credit Union in Mayfield for all the hard-working staff there. We'll draw that in the next hour for Oak Fire Pizza and of course you can pick it up and uh, sample it in Douglas, Clannacilty, Bandon, Princess Street and Gillabby Street and a new store just opened at East Village in Douglas and in the next hour we're going to be playing a Thin Lizzy song listen out for Sarah we have uh, a family pass to give away for the Phil Lynott movie Songs While I'm Away and we're going to play that between 11 o'clock and 12 midday and a family pass will include two medium meals and two mini meals okay so welcome back to the magic of the big screen experience I'm going to go along and see that one myself Philip Lynott Songs for While I'm Away. Listen out for Sarah from Thin Lizzy in the next hour. News at 11 is next on The Neil Prandival Show. Hey, it's Kira. Tune in to Saturday Breakfast on Red FM from 7am and wake up your weekend with music, chats and all that's happening in Cork. That's Saturday Breakfast on Red FM with me, Kira Revens. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now. 1850-104-106. Red FM. Eight minutes past 11. John McNamara's on line one. Good morning, John. Good morning, mate. How are you, sir? You're living in Saudi Arabia. I'm living in the eastern province in Damam in Saudi Arabia. And obviously, I'm a person originally from Cork and I travel quite a bit. And I was listening, and I listen to Red FM all the time, but I was very um, taken aback by your interview with Kevin Cullinan yesterday from Cork Airport Authority. I think that interview was overly positive, but you, you, want, you want to pick something out of it to you that, that maybe should not have been said. Overly positive. Overly, that's my problem. Mum and apple pie. Um, is, I would call it usual guff, um, and I would spin. 
Cork Airport is going to be closed for ten minimum of 10 weeks unnecessarily. People are losing their jobs unnecessarily. And I'll give you just a slight uh, point I need to make. Carrick Finn Airport in Donegal has a runway 1,300 metres long and it has daily flights to Dublin. I want that somebody from Cork Airport to tell me why regional aircraft cannot operate off runway 0725 throughout that period and provide regional connectivity. It's old guff. Which is the, that's the runway that crosses the main runway. Yeah, but it's a runway. Mm-hmm. And what's it there for? It actually functions well. It's as long as Galway Airport, it's as long as Sligo and Waterford Airport. Um, but I want to take, I, if there's anyone in Cork listening, there's a very, very important quote by Anthony Barry TD. Anthony Barry was the father of Peter Barry, of the grandfather of Deirdre Clune. Okay. Please reflect on these words carefully in the light of COVID. Just please reflect. Chronologically and psychologically, this is the time to open an airport in Cork. That was on, in the Imperial Hotel on the 16th of October 1961 when they opened Cork Airport. I am going to say chronologically and psychologically now is absolutely not the time to close Cork Airport. Or not to close Currently, it fully. I am a civil I am a civil engineer. I have thirty years experience. I'm working in runway repair, airport and aviation infrastructure. It is somebody needs to stand up to the DAA and challenge them why there's, they're going to give Cork no connectivity. I'm going to make one other point. One other point. Cork has let its ferry services to the UK go. Since 1922, this will be the first time that there is no passenger connectivity either by sea or by air with the UK. We need, Cork people need to ask the questions. And it's not just their Lingus staff being laid off. It's all the ground operation people mm-hmm. and the commercial connectivity. If you have to go to London and have business, it's physically not possible to do it in a day or you're getting up at the crack of dawn and driving to two and a half, three hours to Dublin. Well, it would be three so hours, I, I think, at, you know, at, at, at 120k per hour. It would be three hours yeah. to Dublin. Uh, yeah. I mentioned to Kevin Cullinan yeah. yesterday, John, that I have a friend who's a pilot in Stobart and they're going to suffer yeah. the extension of the... Uh, the lack of work, they're going to put a three-month, you know, 11 or 12-week extension onto what's been a year and a half yeah. of, of not flying. And, and these, yeah. these Stobart aircraft could fly off the other runway, is what you're saying. And not only that, by the way, and I can say, if, if anybody contradicts me, I'll send you the photographs of BAE 146 jet aircraft, right, which were operated by CityJet on the runway in Galway, which is the same length of a runway, the Embraer, which is a type of aircraft that KLM use, can also land on that runway. Now, I will put a slight caveat or rider on it, and my sequencing will be as follows. There is possibly, and this is where your pilot friend will come into play, there is possibly a need to do some marginal improvement to the navigation and lighting on runway 0725, right? But I would do that first, I would allow for the operation, and we can make it a very exciting time. Why? I'll give you an example. 
it was tried and failed to go to London City Airport. There's an opportunity to open new routes during that period, just reduce the frequency and use the Stobart-style aircraft to have the key connectivity. Or the CityJet um, style, or, or the Embraer. Okay, just just to reiterate, yeah. Uh, yeah. this runway is completely unsuitable for for 737s, Aer Lingus and Ryanair. But for the smaller aircraft, is suitable. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and uh, today, there's two flights a day operating up to Carrick Finn Airport in Donegal by Stobart. So if you can tell me why they can fly on to literally a run, uh, the Carrick Finn runway running along the beach is okay, but Cork Airport is not good enough. And I come back to Anthony Barry's quote, it is not the time chronologically or psychologically to close the airport. Cork doesn't need it. Okay. Cork needs business. And then one other thing that the mum and apple pie interview that made me quite annoyed. I cannot go home. I respect the laws in Ireland. Essential travel is not permitted. I would dearly love to go home and see my parents in Cove. I would dearly love to go home and see my extended family in Cork. I'd dearly love to go home and see my own children. Essential travel is not permitted. The question came in yesterday. Essential travel is permitted. Discretionary travel is not permitted. Sorry, 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 sorry. Family to meet your family mm-hmm. is not permitted. Just because you in the quote of one of the government ministers, if you miss your family, it's not a, that's not a reason to travel, which is gobbledygook. But at the moment, the restrictions in Ireland do not allow me to travel home mm-hmm. because it's not considered essential. So there's a whole other issue regarding antigen testing, and where I am here. Every single thing has been open since October because there's testing which is free. There is testing that is available. If your PCR is older than 48 hours, you get a free antigen test at the airport. So we need to put a system. We need to protect the aviation jobs. We need to protect businesses in Cork. Who covers that Um, cost, John? Is it the state to protect the aviation jobs and the industry? 100% the state. 100% 100% the state in the European Union, it's core. We're a peripheral nation. We're a peripheral island. We have to support. And let me go back. KLM, very welcome in Cork. Air France, very welcome in Cork. Lufthansa, very welcome in Cork. Those three companies are heavily, heavily subsidised at the moment to the tune of not millions, billions. One of the reasons why KLM can grow their network is they're getting huge state support. Yes, but who, who's I going to subvent to Aer Lingus? They're essentially not an Irish airline anymore. The EU have to do it. The EU, absolutely, because they have licenses. They have licenses to provide connection into Cork. And uh, all airlines are getting um, support and deserve support. This is a once-in-a-lifetime crisis. And Cork, and I don't want to make a parochial, but it's very interesting to go up. The salmon is suffering equally well. You know, so very, very important to uh, support aviation, get a, just keep, to keep uh, uh, connectivity. Yeah, I'm, I'm starting to see Fly Shannon adverts on the back of buses in Cork. Uh, I saw one this morning, actually. John, you seem to be very well versed in aviation. What's going to happen to the Aer Lingus slots with which they service Heathrow from Cork? When Cork is closed for the bones of three months. Well, 
I'm not going to uh, predict, um, but but let's go the other way around. Um, the people in Stobart will tell you already the aircraft, some of them served in Cork that have previously served Cork, are now based in Belfast City Airport. Mm-hmm. Right? You also, it's been in the, it, the long term, I believe they'll be used as collateral by, getting back to the slots as you mentioned, Mick, will be used as collateral for Aer Lingus and we'll get a gobbledygook old guff answer from the government. I just want to remind your listeners of something very, very important. Jim Mitchell, Lord Vestam, stood in Galway and said, foggy, boggy, knock would never work. Leo Varad Partidi withdrew the subsidies from Air Arran and Galway Airport closed and, and Sligo Airport lost all passenger connectivity. Cork, I am warning you, Cork, stand up and fight. You will end up with a little backyard of an airport and the, the excuse from the people will be you have a great airport in Dublin and you'll get it now a bit of guff or we'll electrify you with the railway lines. Cork needs connectivity. But I, Brexit th- th- or no Brexit. That slippage is happening already, John, and I've given short shrift to Kevin Cullinan in many interviews. I just felt yesterday was a time for a little bit of positivity with people coming out the back end of the pandemic. Mm. Uh, but look, we, we already have uh, the DAA servicing uh, their long-haul routes to Dubai, Doha, Abu Dhabi, uh, and, and points westward in, 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 into America. Uh, by operating bus services, no, I know they're independently operated bus services, uh, from the quayside that we've christened mm-hmm. Terminal 3. And uh, I asked on a previous Neil Prendival show, uh, the president or chairman of the Irish uh, IATA, Pat Dawson, can you honestly answer me, Pat, are more people leaving for business or holidays from Cork Airport or on the bus from Patrick's Quay, Terminal 3? He could not honestly answer. And let's go one stage further. Aer Lingus has uh, bought... Uh, a very fantastic type of aircraft, uh, 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 an Airbus A321LR, which is a single-aisle aircraft that could very, very, very comfortably fly Cork, New York. And it's of a passenger configuration that would be very, very, very ideal to also do a a run in in and out of London. Those aircraft and the crew are de facto be moved to Manchester. From Shannon, these were the they were wet leasing aircraft seven five seven to fly from Shannon, Boston, Shannon, New York. Those aircraft that were earmarked for Shannon are now in Manchester. The Stobart aircraft are now in Belfast. I'm all for Aer Lingus developing their infrastructure. I'm all for it, but I'm also all for protecting jobs in Cork, and we are. I would say to Ursula, Ursula van der Leyen, pull out the map. Pull out the map. Ireland is an island in the Atlantic Ocean. We need to protect the economy and the livelihoods of the people on that island. And I'm going to take you back to something that's slightly curved ball. We threw the sugar industry in Ireland under the bus. Don't get me started. We we, we threw the peat industry under the bus with 2,000 workers uh, out of work now. And we're importing it using fossil fuels to import cheaper peat from Germany. Give me a break. Yeah, I'm, we, we should meet for a pint, but a bit more importantly, I just feel and uh, it's very, very important that we stand up for Cork. Very, not only for Cork, it's for Munster as well. So, get, and just to summarise, to go back, I would just look, because I'm sure they'll give me a bit of old waffle and guff about some navigation on the 0725 runway. Uh, 
and also just just factually, I want the engineering company to look me in the eye and justify the 10 weeks. I oversaw a runway that is 15 metres wider, so it's 25% wider and 3.6 kilometres longer. Uh, sorry, 3.6 kilometres as no. opposed to 2.1. We've done, we, we done that in two months. Now, well, Why aren't you back here doing the cork runway then, John? <laughs> well, I think it's, I it's still out to tender, is it? Well, it's actually very simple. It's very, very simple. And um, why are there so many heartache among families in Ireland up and down the country? The, our economy, for various different reasons, global recession was driven onto the rocks and engineers and professional people I've met in the Middle East were forced to work abroad. It was either that or lose my house. It's as simple as that. And, um, and interestingly, professionally, and it, it, it kind of leads into this, you get very good projects, very exciting projects and from a career and professional development. It's excellent out here. So, but I would, I would dearly love to be back in, in Ireland, but it's, it's physically not. And in fact, there's a lost generation of people who will never come back to Ireland which because of uh, the collapse in the different economy. There's not a family in Ireland that's not touched by it. Mm-hmm. John, I, I can keep talking to you. You're, you're a really, really interesting guy. You're very, very well versed in aviation. And uh, well, just yeah. very quickly then, let, let's look ahead, say, three years. Let's say three years, the, the travel as we knew it. Packed airports, packed planes, queues and the whole thing. No social distancing. Let's say it's all back to normal. Where do you envisage Cork Airport being in the greater scheme of things? Well, um, my fear, my fear is that the, some of it will become a more seasonal airport unless the people uh, and the key connectivity, particularly the Heathrow slots, will be whittled away and the use, it will, it will, you know, they say don't lose the opportunity for crisis. The crisis would be we need the money and we have to sell them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's quite important that we that they stand back and they look at the infrastructure in Cork Airport um, and and I mean I would like to be optimistic and to develop but unfortunately um, the excuse for the, 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 the point is look the money's been spent on the motorways and the roads um, and it'll become there's a danger and there's a danger unless people stand up for the routes and infrastructure that we won't see. I mean, Cork still hasn't recovered to the the passenger numbers in around three million, which they were in two thousand and eight. Okay, you know, I, so I've got to leave it there, John. But it, it, uh, very interesting. We hope to see you no back problem. in Cork shortly. I, I have a feeling I met you in our in an old school somewhere. Did I? Were we in the same school? Ah, you did. Well, not only did we were probably in the same class for a period of time <laughs> in class somewhere in. So Cork. it's that John McNamara. Um, I thought I recognised the accent. I wasn't sure until, yeah, until well, I asked you there now. Well, at least I'm speaking, at least I'm speaking English, not Arabic <laughs> or French out here. So. John, <laughs> lo- lovely to hear from you again, and thank you very much for your contribution. Thanks a million. Okay, yeah, now we're going uh, across the water from Cove and across the channel to Spike Island now, and uh, good morning, Barry Kiley. Hi, Barry. Uh, hi, Mick. Good morning. Now, you were stopped from going on to Spike Island with your dog on Saturday by staff because rat poison had been put down to control the rat population on the island. What exactly happened? Uh, yeah, Mick, um, very disappointed. Um, I suppose you know, everybody's experienced a, a lockdown over the last number of months. 
And for me, um, Spike became a refuge for, you know, for getting out. Even within the five kilometres, we were still able to get over to, to Spike right through the winter time. Myself and Foxy, my little dog, is a little terrier. He's about 11 years old. And we used to walk the island. And I have to say that the guys, the grounds guys there, the groundsmen, they've done a phenomenal job um, doing, preparing that island for wildlife. They have, uh, the meadows are not cut. Uh, towards the back and the side so it's teeming with wildlife and during the time I was going there you know we got to know a fox there's at least one fox there we met otters there's a family of otters there um, birds of prey falcons kestrels and buzzards and and also um, you know little mammals a lot of habitat for little mammals I've never seen a rat by the way I've never saw a rat once mm-hmm. The time I'm, I was going over there, but the reason I I, I got onto it was because um, I about four or five weeks ago I was over with my wife on Sunday morning and we walked the pathway, come off the pier on the pontoon, come up the pier and then walk to the right along the pathway, and we found a dead rat and we also saw the evidence of poison uh, poison bait boxes, um, there rat poison bait boxes, and uh, you know I'm I'm, I'm very keen uh, into nature. I love nature. I love being around it. And I, I, I think COVID has brought us all very close to nature. But when I was, when I saw this and when I saw the rat poison, what what immediately struck me was these animals. It's a restricted habitat, so you've got predators there that are eating the small mammals, and they're surviving on the small mammals. The fox, for example, there are no rabbits or large prey. There's some pheasants there. Yeah, because it's an island. So pets. what you're saying is it's a balanced it's ecosystem. It's a very balanced ecosystem and suddenly the appearance of dead rats that have died by poison will be eaten by the larger animals. So you have a potential there for wiping out the fox, wiping out the otters, certainly damaging the birds of prey. There's been a lot of buzzards killed down West Cork by laying poison. So I I felt it was a very reckless a reckless thing to do for whoever's deciding to do that. I mean, if they want to get rid of rats on the island... And there are other ways to do it. Or if they are going to lay poison, you know, take responsibility for going around and picking up, picking up these dead animals and not let them there as a source of further poisoning of the larger predators that are there. I just found it was reckless. Is it for optics, Barry? Is it an optical thing for, you know, for tourists coming in that can't be seeing rats? Well, I I did follow up with the council through uh, a local representative. And what I, what I was told was that, um, First, I was told that there should be there are no dogs allowed on the island, which is another question I, I would like to maybe come back to. But what they were told, well, I just thought the feedback I got was that um, there are they have to lay poison down by the by the pier because um, there's food on the island. Well, the food is up in the fort, which is about a half a kilometre mm-hmm. from from the, from the pier. So I I don't get that. But if they do have to do it for some hygiene hygiene reasons or food hygiene reasons, at least be responsible on how you manage this. Now, okay. don't, don't lay poison. Poison will kill beyond the rats. It's very irresponsible. And very different. It's actually, it's very polar opposite to what they're doing to the habitat over there because they've created a phenomenal habitat. It's a hats off to them. But this one piece of it is not, is not consistent with good habitat management. But this is county council property. Is it? It, 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 you're using it all the time. You, you, you've almost developed a, a right away there. You're using it through the winter and everything. How, how can you be, refuse access to county council property and by whom? Well, we were stopped by uh, officials. I think we heard it was the Spike Island Company. Um, where we were stopped initially, we were using the pontoon there, which was, uh, you know, free access during while the island was deserted. So we used to go out to go over three or four times a week. 
um, you know, working and taking a break and going over there for an hour and walking, walking there was, was great therapy, during, particularly during the lockdown. Mm-hmm. So we used to use the, the pontoon regularly and and there isn't really any other way to get in there except through the pier. So I went around, so I came to the pontoon. Yeah, the steps on the pier to tie up, you can tie up next to it. Steps, steps on the pier. And we were told, I was told then that um, I can understand now the pontoon, pontoons in full use for the ferries, because there are ferries ferrying people over to the to the fort. Um, but I'm not sure now. Who, pay, who paid for the pontoons, Barry? Is it, is it the state or the ferry company? I'm not sure, Mick. I don't know. Um, I, I'd imagine it's 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 one of the operators in the harbour, or maybe it's the county council. I I, I really don't know mm-hmm. who, okay. who who own who owns that one. Um, but I don't know now if the island is open to us or not. Um, I don't know whether whether it is if you get over by your own steam. But there isn't really any place to land except the pier, and that's very low tide. It's very tidal. Mm-hmm. So to have the facility of the pontoon available to us over the winter was fantastic. So it, as of an amenity for the general public, um, access is, is, is an issue. Yeah, I, I can, no, I can imagine no, that the, I know yeah. there's a big tourism ticket sales office on the, uh, on the main quay in Cove, mm-hmm. uh, and there's a pontoon there, and uh, the services go over and back, and there's a pontoon on Spike. Uh, so I can imagine if, if people have tickets, uh, then you can't get into Fort Mitchell, for instance, that's a ticketed affair. Um, but uh, what I would be concerned about is uh, your lack of access by right of way to the rest of the island. Um, Many yeah, people, not myself sure. included, have been over to, going over to Spike for years. Uh, I'd, I'd be horrified if, uh, if access is being restricted. To allow ticketed um, access yeah. only, if you know what I mean. Well, in terms of using the facilities to get on, the easy access is certainly that's ticketed only now. Um, um, to get a dog on there, you know, even if you're going, I'm very responsible of wildlife. Bringing a dog over there seems to be an, uh, forbidden as well. Uh, again, on county council property, I don't know why that is because you can control a dog on a lead. You don't have to leave the dog exactly. running right. up. Well, we're going to have to leave it hang there, Barry. We've we've contacted the county yeah. council. We're awaiting a response, uh, but I would like to get clarification on a number of the points you've issued. But essentially, you're here to say why upset the delicate and controlled ecosystem on the island by introducing rat poison. Uh, and having some of the food chain then consume that and put themselves at risk, uh, and probably at risk of wiping out all wildlife on the island. All, all the all the predator wildlife could go, Mike. Mike. It's so it's so delicately balanced. Well, that's my concern. Well, Barry, thanks for your interest and for highlighting it on air. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Barry Kiley. There. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. Eighteen fifty one zero four one zero six. Red FM. We have still to play our Thin Lizzy song for the Gate Cinemas. We have Phil Linet, Songs While I'm Away, a family pass including two medium meals and two mini meals. Now I'm about to play some music uh, to intro a very interesting topic on a program called Reeling in the Years. Can I just say very strongly, this is not Thin Lizzy, so please don't call us. Uh, this is Steely Dan. I'm going to talk to uh, a very interesting corkman in a moment. <laughs> Today is, by any standards, one of the blackest days in the history of the state as the world watches the IMF arrive to effectively take control of our economic affairs. The problems of Ireland were created by irresponsible financial behaviour of some Irish institutions and by the lack of supervision in the Irish market. Awkward angle, what a score! I can tell you this honestly. 
anyone in Ireland, anyone on the planet is sad about this, you're not one billionth as sad as I am. Because I'm the real loser in this one. It's madness. Madness. They should have told the man in the first place he could only do two answers. There's 400,000 people very unhappy. It's an absolute disgrace. Waste time with the masterpiece. It's a be as fast as you can go. Close your eyes and pull like a dog. <laughs> This is going to be a huge fast finish. The Irish in second place. It looks like the French just taking it on the line. Finally, Ireland's lesbian and gay citizens will become fully equal. To the people of Ireland, on behalf of the likes of me, and the people after me, and the people before me, and all the people here, thank you so, so much. You might recognise the song as the theme or sig tune from the programme Reeling in the Ears, very much as connected to that programme as the Allman Brothers, Jessica, is to Top Gear. Now, John O'Regan is the producer of RTE's long-running programme Reeling in the Ears. He grew up in Lasarda County, Cork, and has worked in his career uh, in uh, major TV companies and worked for Grenada Television on shows such as The Krypton Factor. This morning was Richard and Judy in World in Action, and he moved back to Ireland in 1997 to work on Kenny Live. Good morning to you, John. Good morning, Mick. Good morning, Mick. Okay, it's a very, very engaging program. Uh, and can I just say at the outset, you're, you're making a timeless program as well. It's not something that will date. It'll, it will only age effectively like good wine because the editing, the choice of material, it, it really is one of the most enjoyable, non-narrated programs on TV to watch. Well, that's very kind of you to say. Thank you, Mick. <laughs> yeah, you kind of hope that maybe it does last in a way that we never anticipated when we started making it 20 years ago. Because, as you say, the events are, a lot of the events are just frozen in time. And what I suppose changes is your view of them or other events happen between that year and and now when that affects the way you look at it. So it stays, um, it doesn't date in the same way as other programs might do. And it seems to have endured in a way that none of us, like I say, ever thought it would, it could, you know, it seems to have found it a, a, a niche with people. Because pe- people, um, you know, I look at, say, 1986, and I think, what age was I? What was I doing? And I can't even remember what I was doing. And it, it, and then you see these uh, protests. Uh, I watched one with the uh, the peace train coming from Dublin, the contraceptives going from Belfast. Right. But, but in this decade, of course, and we had uh, a little listen there in a lovely montage made by Mark, the IMF arriving to take control of Ireland's economic affairs, the EU bailout, the Cork All-Ireland football champions, right. Garth Brooks, the big one in the middle there, not being allowed to perform at Croke Park and choosing uh, not to, as he said himself, I'm not picking one child over another and just cancelling the whole lot. Yeah, my compliments to Mark. I was listening to that montage. I thought it was a really, really nice taster. Uh, it's very, well, really well put together. Um, but um, yeah, it's. It, I suppose this decade, there, the, the the aim with it is is the same as any other decade that you're trying to get that mix of news, current affairs, sport, politics, and entertainment. And it, it, it is a kind of modest. I, I do think it's a very low key show. You know, it's not an official news review of the year or a conventional history documentary. It's it's a pick and mix. It's a, it's not a definitive social political history. You'd just be mad to think you could do you could do that kind of uh, justice to a whole year's events in one twenty five minute program. So it just tries to give it a flavour of what was going on in a given year and it uses music and archive. As you say, if you're listening to or looking at nineteen eighty six, you you hopefully uh, if you, you know you look back as I do looking at the at the program and you you join the dots in effect of your own experience of what you were doing at that time. And I think the music is a very powerful trigger for that because 
you, particularly when you're younger, music really hits the back of your brain like like no other thing can, and it stays there. It's and the music choice that, that really hits me, I have to say, John. The music choice is, is excellent, and the way, you know, as a DJ, you're always trying to nail the vocal. It's the way the editing of the visual to the music, uh, it, it's just a seamless production. Well, and, I, and I mean that in the kindest possible terms and not trying to blow smoke or anything. If there, we have some very talented editors like Colm O'Brien who's finishing the 2019 programme as we speak. Uh, it's going out on Sunday. Colm's done the last four or five and there is a lot of work that we put into, you know, listing the events and looking at the footage and then going through the songs from the year. So I'll make a list of maybe 100 songs for each year and then we, that I, we boil that down to about 30 that we'd kind of pick and then maybe 10, program, 10, 10 songs is usually the average that ends up in a program. And something would jump out. That will go well with that subject. What's the criteria for inclusion? I, I, I think you've said it probably best yourself. It's a pick and mix. It has to be a smorgasbord, if you like, of stuff yeah. from the year. I think it has to be. For, for a program like Reeling in the Years, like it's not a... There are other... Yeah, I could, you can argue better, more serious editorially programs uh, that look back in a more formal way at a year or at a sequence of events. But it's it's more of a time capsule. Now, as you say, obviously the music we choose to reflect mood and you can use because we don't have, as you say, a presenter in a conventional way, then the music is kind of a narrator, kind of an ironic counterpoint, kind of. A, it, sometimes it matches what's going on. Sometimes it doesn't. You try to be guided by the charts, but you try to... I think for what you're trying to do is make an absorbing television program, and that means that you you need a mix. You need fast and slow music. You need uh, an Irish uh, Irish and international stories mixed, and you need a blend of news and current affairs and some some stories that wouldn't ordinarily go, come anywhere near a conventional news review. Like for example, if you think of when we started making them, you're talking about the 80s. There, if you if you were to list or to try to rank a series of stories to say, okay, well, Ireland won the Eurovision in some year in the 80s, right, or leg warmers were popular or there were these appalling atrocities in Northern Ireland and retaliation for them or there was a political initiative the same year there was a general election or there was an Irish band that had a top 10 hit in Ireland and the UK there might have been a big storyline in I don't know Fair City or Glen Row or something and then you'd have natural disasters I don't know like an earthquake in the Middle East or something and the popularity of the Rubik's Cube or commun- you know, protests in communist Poland you go okay you can't rank that in terms of top to bottom So can I then That's venture the that the programme should be twice as long as it is? Well, I don't know. I mean, some people say that, but you kind of think, well, I've always felt that 25 minutes is the, is the program and 25 minutes is what suits a television program slot. And we, I have noticed, we, I wouldn't rule out doing one-hour versions of, of specific years, maybe. We might sort of look at that, but not every year, I think, sustains uh, an hour. And I also think that when we, in the past on occasion, Ortiz put out two reeling in the years back to back, and I, I have always detected a sense in the audience, this is my instinct, that when you get to about 40 minutes, you get tired of reading the television in some ways. Mm, okay. <laughs> you know, you're reading a lot of ca- and we're coming at you with a lot of intense information sometimes. And deliberately the program is structured so that, you know, as a viewer, you get a break without being aware of it. We'll give you a bit of music or a bit of sport to look at. And then we'll follow it up with maybe an intense political heavy story or, or something quite serious. So you get breaks for your attention, but I'm not sure, I think we need to look at the way in which a program's paced across an hour rather than half an hour. It just seems to work as half an hour. Ideally, I've always said this, and I'm never going to be the judge of it. It's, it's you as a viewer can be the judge of it far more than I ever could, but if you, I know it's repeated a lot, but if you start watching a reeling in the years, the hope is that you get to the end of it as a viewer and you go, crikey, was that half an hour? I know. I that, just, we've just got that always happens to me. Has it over already? It on, you know? Yeah, okay. So uh, how long does each program take, each year take to compile? Are you, are you looking at months? 
yeah, it, it, uh, a series back, well, I don't know, we made, this is the sixth, I think. Um, so th- th- this one's been a bit unusual, as, as everything in the world has been because of COVID. But it takes about eight months, at least, to make a series, um, to, make a, to make a series of 10 programs. It's taken us a little bit longer, and we've been doing, there were, you know, the production's been interrupted for various reasons uh, because of COVID, and it's been a bit more cumbersome in many respects. But, uh, and there was a, we actually fast-tracked it. It wasn't supposed to be on air until the autumn of this year, but... There was a sense really that the audience wanted it and it's unusual for us to put out the series in spring and summer. But um, so we fast tracked it and we got it there for for April. And um, so in in all between, there are very two very talented researchers on the program, uh, Owen Cody and Ronan Murphy, and they they and I work through it. Uh, They start a little bit before me and then I start the editing. And it takes, like I say, about eight months to make the 10 half hour programs. Mm -hmm. I've heard parents say that they love sitting down with their kids saying, oh, I want you to watch this. I was your age this year yeah I think that's something that we've noticed has happened as, as the repeats have gone on that it, yeah, I'd always said that there were two things that we wanted to do I can say what we always wanted to do I'm never sure if we delivered it but that you would like different generations of the program uh, to watch to be able to watch the program and to get different things out of it so that a parent can look at a program and remember when they were young and that a grandparent can look back on the time when the parent was young and they were bringing them up and the, the child can look at it and say, what was that about? Or, what, does it, did, you, did you do this? Or did you know about that? What happened with that? So that it's a trigger for different generations to get something out of it. And the other thing that you would like to think is that it's made in such a way and it's where the, I think the caption text script, which is as sparse as I can make it, but it, and we try to be concise, but if you weren't born at the time, or if you weren't born, if you weren't aware at the time, or you weren't even living in, the, in Ireland at the time, because you're broadcasting to a lot of people who weren't living in Ireland at the time, that it gives you enough to uh, access the stories, that you can follow what's going on. Exactly, or maybe look them up online afterwards or something like that. I don't think any other program, John, is going to capture for posterity the O'Donovan brothers saying, pull like a dog. Well, I think it's important to capture it. <laughs> I think it needs to be needs to be in there, and it's not the only uh, you know Cork reference I can tell you in the series. Okay, uh, so what's what's left in the live series, and that's happening? Uh, what time has it been broadcast at the weekend again? Oh well, it's, it's Sunday night, eight thirty is the last one, and that's reeling in the years twenty nineteen. Okay. And what about retrospective access? Then can you get it on the RT player? Yeah, it's on the player for the next several weeks. So this is the first series we managed to make available for the player. It's kind of we have, they're very complicated footage and clearance copyright agreements that we've had to go through. So the previous series we couldn't get on a player, and actually we made we started to make them twenty years ago when there wasn't even a player or a catch up. So, mm-hmm. but this series is available on player for the next several weeks, couple of months. Thank you. And if they can't be bought, for instance, on video, and they can't be streamed to download to watch, is there any way that RTE would consider maybe running them in chronological order so that people could you know make make a full six months? Or something. Well, I think what they tend to do, it's not my call, like it's the schedulers here would decide it, but uh, I think that uh, what they tend to do is they just kind of, there are now going to be, when we finish the series, there's 58 programs. So they tend to just transmit them in, you know, back, or sorry, in, in sequence where there are gaps in the schedule. So in the past, I think in August, they would put out, you know, a couple of weeks at half six when the six one news cuts back to half, mm, yeah. half an hour. So they use that slot. So they do tend to go out quite a bit. And, and I've always, I always think that my favorite line about <laughs> reading in the years was from the late uh, Michael Dwyer, who's a film critic of the Irish Times, who, who once said that, only the Angelus was repeated more often than, <laughs> than reeling in ears, which in that great Irish way is both a compliment and a dig. <laughs> uh, I suppose it is, yeah. Reeling in the ears, uh, John O'Regan, the producer, you've given immense entertainment over the years, uh, and I hope that people will, if they can't access it, uh, 
uh, as it goes out on uh, on its final broadcast for the news series that they will exit while it's available on the player and keep watching after the news for the uh, for the constant and enjoyable repeats. Well done for all you do and to the uh, Thanks, the team on reeling in the years, John. Thanks a million. Thanks, Mike. Thanks Thank all the best. Bye bye. Now this song is not from Steely Dan. Then Lizzie and Sarah, a song that Phil Lynott wrote for one of his daughters. The other one is a lovely song as well, as I mentioned yesterday. Please look it up and stream it. It's a beautiful song called Kathleen. And we have for Phil Lynott's songs while I'm away, a family pass to give away for Caller 20, as we mentioned, to the Gate Cinemas. They're in Cork, Mallow and Middleton too. And this family pass will include two medium meals and two mini meals. So we played Phil Lynott and Thin Lizzie. And going to songs while I'm away is uh, Liam Crowley in Main Street in Ladies Bridge in County Cork. Caller 20, Liam Crowley. Crowley, Main Street, Ladies Bridge in County Cork. So I imagine it's the uh, Middleton Gate Cinema you'll be going to and you'll enjoy Phil Lynott's songs while I'm away, for while I'm away, uh, and two medium meals and two mini meals. Thanks to the Gate Cinemas for that lovely price. The Neil Prendival Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday, 1850-104-106. And it's seven and a half minutes to midday and the limited time available to us because we've covered taxi protests, we've covered fishermen's protests. I want to cover the ongoing farmers' protest very quickly. John Coughlin or John Colin? Which is right, John? Coughlin. Coughlin, yeah. You're, you're the Cork Coughlin. In, in North Cork, it's Coughlin. In, uh, it, in South Cork, it's Colin. Okay, very quickly, if you can, uh, t- tell us your grievances and what's happening today. Well, I think the real issue of what's happening today is uh, IFA protests in top one rural towns around the country. We're out there trying to show how important agriculture is to the rural parts of Ireland and to all these rural towns, the likes of Mitchellstown, Middleton, Kibreen, Bend and McCroom, are the towns that are being used, being protested in Cork. We're looking for the support of the government, of the EU Commission, to back farming because in Ireland farming is the most important industry. And is your, is your issue with the common agricultural policy? Yes, the common agricultural policy is about the problem that we have at the moment. The reform that's taking place at the moment is going to make a lot more farms unviable when it is finished because it is not supporting commercial farm family units. Okay, we, we, we've seen the decimation of the beet industry many years ago. We've seen the recent decimation of the peat industry. And while we import yes. peat from, from Germany, we've seen the decimation of the fishing industry. Is farming next? Absolutely, if it keeps going the way it's going, yes it is. Because while we are being hindered by production methods where we have to produce our food in an environmentally cost-effective manner, we see the pressures coming from imports, coming into the European Union, from third countries, from Mercosur countries, where the standards are totally different. And in order for us to survive, we can't compete on a price-per-price basis with those imports. So what has to happen, John? Well, that's where CAP came into play. CAP was introduced by the European Commission to support cheap food so that the consumer of Europe would have cheap food. And in fairness, look, consumers today are spending less than 10% of their income on food, whereas 20 years ago they were spending 20% of their income on food. What has to happen is farmers have to be continued to be supported properly for producing that food. But at present, the European Commission wants farmers to produce the food under the cost of production and at the same time, then, they want to impose further restrictions on top of us uh, for climate mitigation, which is going to cost farmers huge money okay. over the next what, what, years. what form will the protest take? I, I, I imagine it's a, a full tractor demo. And how can people support? How can the public support you? Well, I think what the public can do is, the public, first of all, have to look and realise 
what farmers are doing. We're producing the cheap quality food for the consumer. They have to continue to ensure that they buy Irish produced food and make sure that they do not support the supermarkets who are trying to knock the price of food uh, every second day. The other issue is that what's happening at the moment is that there's a tractor protest. Because of COVID, farmers are just driving their own tractor through the rural towns in a peaceful, slow manner. And what I've seen is in the Mitchell's town this morning where you have all the businesses and the local townspeople are out supporting us farmers and saying, fair play to you, you're highlighting the fact that farmers can continue producing food for little or nothing if they're not going to be part yeah, of okay. All right, John, we, we wish you the best. It's a shame you have to do it, but uh, do what you are. And I'm sure people will be blowing the horns in support with you as well. Absolutely, Mick. Thanks very much. Thanks a million. Uh, Thank so, you. thanks a lot. Good to give the uh, the farming community a little bit of a, a spotlight on the Neil Prendival Show. Now, our free food Friday winners have just chosen them, uh, and they are chosen at random. Please uh, give lunch to Kinsale Crystal, family business run by mother and son Anna and Ronan Daly, with a few big helpers, big a uh, few helpers, big and small. Uh, also, out of the hat is this one, Hi Mick. We'd love vouchers for some lovely pizza for all the lads here in Jerry's Car Wash Valet Centre and Fuel Depot. They do everything there in Canturk. Uh, they're listening to Red FM all the time, so it would be great to win something. And hi, Mick. A shout-out to the lads in the Bond Department of the Middleton Distillery, working hard, as always, from Mike Shan. So well done, Mike, and all the gang. Now, a couple of uh, quick requests. Uh, hi, Red FM. Any chance today you could give a special mention to my daughter, Ariana Hyde, from Canturk, who will turn four this Sunday, the 13th, plus her great-grand Margaret Byrne from Joe Murphy Road, who lives in Ballyfehan, will turn an amazing 98, 98, on the same day. Double celebration and thanks a million. And best of luck to all the Cork City supporters heading to the Cabin Teeley game tonight. My thanks to the wonderful production team here for the last two weeks on the Neil Prendeville Show. Neil returns on uh, Monday morning. So thanks to our senior producer, Emer. Don't you dare give me a nickname. Oh, hey, Martine. To Brenda Rapunzel Dennehy. To the other uh, hardworking people on the show. I'm dead. Uh, to the other hardworking people on the show. Seamus Sniffer Wheelahan and Mark Wiggy uh, Willington. It's been a pleasure. We'll talk to you again the next time Neil is on holidays. He's back on Monday morning. And News at Midday is next. Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redxtra.ie for more great Red FM content.